above the mucky muck, castle made of clouds. There sits Wonder Boy, sitting oh so proudly. Nothing much to say when you're high above the mucky muck. Significant Strike Podcast. <laughs> oh, I'll fix that later. Welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. I am your host, Soft Weekly. With me, as always, is our expert handicapper, Val Dwyer. And with us again is Mike from the Strong and Jacket UFC Bets. Guys, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Excited to have Mike here. Excited for the card on Saturday. I, yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. I had a great time joining you last month to talk about um, a couple of the fights. And uh, you know what? You guys are a good luck charm for me. I, I think I hit on most of the, the uh, picks that I gave out on the show. So hopefully we can keep that going and you guys can bring me some more good luck on this card. It, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm very excited about this card. I played the, the Wonder Boy song again just because I love watching that guy fight no matter what. And... uh the Poirier-McGregor fight is probably, I mean, the biggest marquee fight we've seen in a minute, right? Yeah, yeah, biggest fight mm-hmm. since Khabib versus Connor. So, Val, um, recap how we did last week. Oh, well, two weeks ago now, it seems yeah. like forever. Yeah, it does since our last card. But, um, yeah, so we, we had only two bets originally on the podcast. Tanner Bozer money line and Shavkat Rachmanov minus 3.5 spread. They both hit, but I added three bets uh, on Twitter at, later on. Gain Volkov round five to start at minus 125 for three quarters of a unit. Uh, Volkov money line, that one. Volkov money line for half a unit at plus 151. That lost and Hyoni Barcelo, but profit is profit. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, wait, so, wait. Uh, before we go further, uh, Mike, how'd your bets come out on the last card? How'd you do? Um, I had a I had a pretty good week. Um, I had only three plays. One of them was one of my bigger one of my bigger plays of the year on um Shavkat Rachmanov. I had three and a half units. Um, which you know he's a wow, big favorite. That's a, that. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. though. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was absolutely one of the gifts of the year against a yeah. guy, what, 13 years older, seven inches shorter, coming off a, a multi-year layoff. Um, I started to get a little bit nervous as as the fight approached just because it's like, man, why are they making this one so easy on us? But Because uh, I thought it, it could have been, you know, minus 450 or something, But um, which it, it did go off at, at about 400, but I think most of us got in under 300 so I, I hit that one um i was on cyril gone which i seem to really be in the minority on that one but um yeah i just i thought he did pretty much 
everything better than Volkov that I'd seen so far. Um, I didn't weigh experience into it as much as most people did. And I pulled that one off. And then the only other bet I had was um, Ike Villanueva and Prachnio to not start round three. So I hit all three of those uh, for a 3-0 week. Um, so looking to keep that momentum going this week, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, nice. great week. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Rachmanov, I mean, I, I we I played the spread like like I said, but I wanted to put more, but I've been burned by prospects recently. You know, guys we don't mm. have that much tape on, so I kept it to one unit. But yeah, that was it. Just seemed like a lock, for lack of a better word, at least for him to win. But yeah, anyway, yeah, this wh- week. Uh, yeah. Where are we gonna start tonight, Val? All right, so I mean, we'll just start briefly on the early prelims. Um. I'm skipping. Also, okay, the first fight, Alan Embadovsky versus Yao Zong Hu, both not newer guys. Who he he started at heavyweight, lost, then light heavyweight, lost. So now he's fighting at middleweight, which is more of his natural weight class. Um, so he's only three and two in his record, but you have to put it in context. He was fighting at against much much bigger guys, and against Embadovsky, who's uh, nothing special. I mean, neither guys those guys are anything special. I just thought that tidbit about. Yalzong, who was interesting. Um, then we have Zalgas Zumagulov against Jerome Rivera. I, I rate Zumagulov pretty well. I mean, he lost his debut, but against uh, David Dvorak, I believe it was. And I'm really high on Dvorak. Oh, no, Paiva. Sorry, he lost to Paiva mm-hmm. and then Amir Albazi. Not horrible losses, both by decision, but he's kind of with his back against the wall, as those were his first two fights in the UFC. Um, and he was a, a champ over. East, I forget what promotion out East, but uh, yeah, he's a big favorite, probably uh, the correct odds given yeah, his he, resume and the resume of his opponent. He's a huge favorite here. Um, I'm looking across. It's basically uh, minus three fifty to plus two seventy. He's a huge that, favorite. Yeah, that number is more, and I, I like Zalgas too. I think he's a good fighter. He's he's much better than his record, but that number is much more of a fade on Jerome Rivera than it is of Zalgis really being a guy who would normally be a minus 300, 400 favorite. Uh, yeah. Rivera's likely one of the worst guys on the roster. Um, yeah. I think they're only keeping him around because he'll fight on short notice. He'll fight in any division. But, I mean, he's looked terrible so far. Yeah. But I mean, but this, it's a big I, I, number, so it's hard, it's hard to come up with a play there. I remember when I saw him fight Francisco Figueiredo, Davison's brother, mm-hmm. and... Francisco looked horrible. Like he is nowhere near what his brother is, but he still got the win because Rivera is so bad. So yeah, it's it. The odds are about appropriate, I would say. That's yeah. One note. Say. One note I have on that is um, Zalgis. His last seven fights have gone to decision, and ten of his last eleven fights have gone to decision. Uh, he was only involved in finishes when he was in ultra low promotions, um, yeah. and he's about minus one fifteen by the. But Jerome Rivera's got really. He's got some chin issues, yeah. so I wouldn't feel. I, I didn't even think about that prop. Seconds to Ode Osborne <laughs> in his last right. fight, which it's rare to have early to rank have ranked fighters this early on the prelims. But we have Brad Tavares versus Omari Akhmedov, um, ranked what are they thirteen and fourteen or fourteen and fifteen at middleweight. Um, Brad Tavares, he's been around for ages. I mean, he's lost to some really. Good guys like Shabazian, Izzy, Romero, Whitaker. Uh, but he, he's just been a stable in this division for a while. He has good takedown defense, which is the most important thing when fighting Akhmedov, really. But Akhmedov isn't 
that much of a one-trick pony. I mean, he is mostly a wrestler, but he, he can throw hands, too. I, I don't have too many notes on this. Um, I, I thought the odds were about appropriate. Brad Tavares should be able to stuff his takedowns, but Omari Akhmedov is... It, Tavares is kind of a small welterweight, and Akhmedov is probably going to be the more powerful guy, so who knows? Yeah, I when I initially looked at the money lines when they were first released, I mean, they came out for this event like five, six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, when I first looked, I had a little bit of interest in Akhmedov, but then when I took a, a closer look, I lost my interest pretty quickly. I mean, Tavares, he really does have excellent takedown defense, and stylistically, this is a good matchup for him. Um, I mean, Akhmedov is a solid fighter. Uh, I yeah. wouldn't be sure if he can win some minutes or even rounds if this can get to the ground, but um, I'm going to stay away from it. I really, I wouldn't hate somebody taking a chance on the underdog here, but uh, I don't know. This one's going to be a pass for me too. Yep, same here. All right, so on to the next, Jessica I, famous for getting head kicked into oblivion by Valentina Shevchenko <laughs> versus Jennifer Mayo, who was, well, not not anymore. And she is known for actually taking a round off of Valentina, which was interesting. People thought, oh, Valentina has a chink in her armor, but she <laughs> looked, she looked fine in her, great in her last fight, destroying Andrade. Anyway, um, Jessica I is really known for just being weak to grappling, like extremely, extremely weak to grappling. Um, shoot, I don't know if I have the stat in front of me, but her takedown defense is bad. She's, um, yeah, she's been controlled on the ground 22 percent of the time in, in all of her ufc fights um meanwhile jennifer maya has good grappling that's how she took the round off shevchenko she got the takedown and was on top for a good three four minutes three and a half minutes maybe but she even though she had, had success there she only shot one takedown the rest of the fight so uh, it's questionable whether she'll even be able to implement that game plan versus uh jessica I. and if she doesn't uh they're pretty similar in terms of striking I think so. I think Maya should have an edge. I just don't know if she's going to implement the game plan that is the clear game plan to implement. Yeah, I, I tweeted a, a, a funny fact about this the other day, and Valen, I know you commented on it, but um, you know, these are both ranked women, both in the top seven. Uh, they're both thought of as somewhat higher level uh, flyweights, but neither <laughs> see Maya's three and three, I is five, eight, and one. And yeah, I has fought yeah. the best of the best, but. 5A and 1 is 5A and 1. Um, now, yeah. with, Maya, with Maya, I feel like there's kind of a little bit of some misconceptions about her. Uh, she's really thought of as a submission, a submission specialist, uh, probably because she kind of popped onto the radar for a lot of fans when she submitted JoJo Calderwood last year, uh, costing JoJo a title shot. Um, but you have to go back 13 fights before that for her last submission. And she is a good grappler. She definitely has the grappling and the BJJ advantage in this fight. But she doesn't always go to look to take fights there. Um, yeah. In six yeah. UFC fights, she's only attempted, I think, three takedowns. Um, so this might be a stand-up affair. Uh, and I would still somewhat favor Maya uh, in a stand-up affair. She's got good combos where eyes kind of has some defensive concerns and doesn't really throw that second shot or third shot too often. But I'll tell you what, I might be the value side here. I'm staying away from it, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like I think Maya should win. I considered Maya by decision, but then if she doesn't she could, I guess, submit I. And if she just we both said yeah, she she doesn't take 
use takedowns, even though she, when she gets there, she has pretty good wrestling mm-hmm. uh, and jujitsu. And also, this is one of those where it's like, if you had told me that these women had fought before, I would like without looking at typology, I wouldn't be able to dispute that <laughs> because it's, it's flyweight. Like I know that, that's um, how this division is. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I thought fought Calvillo last year, and I was like Calvillo. I, I didn't remember that it was Calvillo. I was like, didn't they already fight? Um, <laughs> flyweight is just other than featherweight, women's featherweight, which isn't a real division. Is this is definitely the worst division in the UFC? That that's um, a that's a problem you and I have talked about a bunch is uh some of the most of the women's divisions uh there's no depth to them so it it's kind yeah. of it's kind of like a recycling blender you know what I mean they yeah they keep it it's the same way when uh when uh um Demetrius Johnson was ruling one twenty five you know what I mean there's yeah. only so many guys there so it was just recycled all the time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, dominant tri- champs can be fun, but that's a problem with them. It makes the rest of the division stale, especially if it's a weaker division. Uh, I could see that happening with men's middleweight soon. I mean, it's just Izzy and Rob and then oh, kind of terrible. power there's, Costa, but yeah. There's no prospects. Uh, even the ranked guys, they have name value, but yeah. uh, men's middleweight is, I, I think it's atrocious, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And well, there's only Shabazian and Holland as prospects, but and we should probably move on after this, but they they have such obvious chinks in their armor. Like anyone can take advantage of Trabazian's cardio and Holland's wrestling. So Holland is rumored to be fighting um, Kyle Dawkins, uh later on this year. His first fight since moving to AKA for hey, I to get know better at wrestling. I know this this is a handicapping show, but I do like the uh, outlandish. Uh... Or just the off-the-cup commentary, something sometimes about the division. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah. things. It's all right to offer opinions every now and then that aren't necessarily based on uh, what you're betting. Yeah. Uh, but we should move on. So on to the first fight I'm actually excited about on the regular prelims. That's Ryan Hall. Um, uh, popular MMA meme, Ryan Hall. And Ilya Teporia, undefeated prospect, 10-0. Um, Georgian, but fighting out of Spain. Um, he's 2-0 in the UFC. Ryan Hall is 4-0 in the UFC, though he did lose uh, an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter to Saul Rogers. This is an interesting one, because Ryan Hall is, well, he's obviously known as a leg lock specialist, but he does only have one submission in the UFC, and that was on BJ Penn. His other fights beat Darren Elkins, Gray Maynard, and Artem Lobov all either out of their prime or just not that good to begin with by decision. Um, especially the Artem and Gray Maynard fights were super boring because what Ryan Hall does, he wants to get the fight to the ground, but he has no takedowns. He either Iminari rolls, and most guys are prepared for it, or that's all they're prepared for, really, so they keep range and just stay away from the Iminari roll, which for anyone who doesn't know, an Iminari roll is rolling forward to grab someone's leg and getting them into a heel hook or a leg lock of some sort. Um... But yes, we just he either Imanari rolls or just pulls guard like fifteen times a fight. That's no exaggeration. That probably at least once a minute or every other minute he pulls guard and just hopes they go into his guard and they don't because they're terrified of him. So Ryan Hall, most of Ryan Hall's fights play out with him just trying to get the fight to the ground and his opponents just staying as far away from him as possible. So he just kicks them to a decision. I mean, he's he's has improved on his kicks. He knocked Darren Elkins down with a, a spinning. Uh, wheel kick, I think it was, but 
Darren Elkins isn't great, first of all. And his other fights, the guy's just stayed so far away. I mean, his fights, he he's known as this, like, leg-taking machine. And he can be. He's a great grappler. But it, it's more the meme than anything. Because there's memes like, oh, you see a 500-pound bodybuilder. No, like 300-pound bodybuilder. And then Ryan Hall side-by-side. And it's like this guy could would destroy this guy, and a lot of MMA fans share that kind of mean. So I think the odds are like two thirty minus two thirty for Zaporia right now. I think we could see them get around to minus two hundred if people just bet on Ryan Hall because he has name value. Meanwhile, Zaporia is excellent. I think he has future championship potential. He's a BJJ black belt, a great Greco-Roman wrestler. He has legit knockout power. He knocked out Damon Jackson in round one in his last fight. Only one of his fights have gone the distance. That was two fights ago over his Yusuf Zalal. And I don't know how Zalal got out of some of those submissions. He was so flexible. It was like like Dan Hardy versus GSP for him getting out of some of those uh, chokes and arm arm bars. But yeah, Tapori is really great. He's definitely more of a grappler, but he has developed his power and just striking... uh, efficiency in general so i think a he won't be scared of ryan hall won't back up like everyone else does and let ryan just touch him to a decision and b if ryan does get in on him he can hold his own i'm not saying taporia is a better grappler than ryan hall because in in a grappling tournament i would absolutely take ryan hall but this isn't grappling this is mma right and taporia isn't afraid to go there ryan hall is the better grappler but Taporia yeah. isn't, he, you know what I mean? He's he's comfortable in that position. Yeah, he should want to keep the fight standing more, but he won't hate it, and he will be should be able to survive if the fight goes down there. I mean, there is the chance of a Ryan Hall sub, but I think more likely Taporia knocks him out or uh, or wins a decision because he's better everywhere else other than in BJJ where he's competent. You have any thoughts on this one, Mike? Because uh, I should say I'm looking at the odds, but like I said, I think they'll drop. So there might be value later on if they do drop, which they have already dropped like ten or fifteen cents. Yeah. yeah so let me check the this, numbers. This, this is yeah. definitely an interesting one. You know, you've got Hall, who he's the taller guy, uh, somewhat rangier, and he's obviously a frustrating guy to fight. He's so unorthodox, and like you, like you guys were saying, he has zero problem pulling guard, and he will pull guard every chance he gets he's really viewed as a bjj expert and he has kind of become somewhat of a meme like val was saying um and he's taken on to here great tenor no georgian prospect who's looked very good in his two ufc wins so far and to should be much stronger um you know hall's the guy who has the legendary aura of being uh the bjj mastermind but like you were saying Tapuria is a, a, a very good grappler as well he's comfortable on the ground and he actually has seven of his 10 wins by submission. You might think yeah. that Hall's the guy who is the submission specialist between the two of them. He's got three in his career. Um, Topurier has seven. So yeah. I'm not, that doesn't mean he's a better grappler, of course, but it's something to take into account here. And on the feet, it's not even close. So Topuria is a great boxer, vicious left hook, vicious, vicious body work. He could rip the body apart. Um he like instinctually uses this, uses this uppercut when opponents shoot on him, which I'd like to see more fighters do, but that probably won't matter here because Hall doesn't go for traditional takedowns. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's trying to get you down in his unorthodox ways. Um, the um, one concern that I have about um, Tapuria here 
Now, he usually, he seems to have a good IQ. He seems to come in with a good game plan. But he's only been to round two, two times. And he's only been to round three, one time. That time that he made it to round three, he was against Yusef Salal. And he did whatever he wanted to against Yusef Salal for two rounds. Uh, but in that third, he was noticeably slower and yeah. seemed a little more tired. So I'd say the jury is still out on his gas tank. Uh, he might not need it here. I wouldn't be shocked if there's an early KO if, if Tapuria could keep this one standing. Uh, I favor him. I favor Tapuria to remain undefeated here. But at the current price, two thirty minus two thirty minus two forty, Paul still presents a little too much risk for me to take the bite there. Like you were saying, if the money keeps coming in on Hall and you can get this closer to minus 200, it might be worth a look, but I'm probably going to be passing on this one and just enjoying it. Yeah, yep, I, I, I agree. Yeah, and I would say about Perrier and Hall is uh, the thing is, is Hall's looking to take it to the ground and grapple, but Perrier has got some pretty good wrestling skills in it. It will end up being very frustrating for um, someone like Hall, who is used to being the grappler when some guy can defend and push you off, and you know you don't necessarily get your way. Like I think yeah. Tapurier can uh, push Ryan Hall out of his game plan pretty early on, show him that that's not going to work. I think. Uh, the yeah. money's too high for me, but I think is a lock here. I'm not betting money, but I think he's a lock here. He's gonna think, fr- he's my, gonna frustrate Ryan Hall. My only concern is just that Taporia won't be scared of him like all his other opponents. So it gives Ryan. They always try to stay far away from that Imanari role. It gives Ryan more of a chance of getting in on it, but also Taporia has more of a chance of escaping it if Ryan does get onto his leg. But. Uh, I mean, that's uh, it could be a great fight. It could also be very boring if Ryan just pulls guard over and over again and Tapuria refuses. I would be you really were... happy to see a very good grappling match here. I think yeah. uh, it it has the makings of it because I think uh, Tapuria is, uh, because he, he's known for his power on stand-up that uh, people underappreciate what he can do when he's in the clinch. And I, I think he has pretty good wrestling. Yeah. So... As I was saying, this next one has banger fight of the night. These next two have banger fight of the night material. Um, Drikas Duplessis, who was a KSW champion briefly. He fought uh, Robocop, uh, Roberto Soldich, who is probably the best rated welterweight outside of the UFC. Um, maybe uh, maybe below uh, Yaroslav Amasov, but uh, he's very highly rated, and he beat Roberto Soldich in their first fight. Roberto Soldich beat him in the rubber match to regain his title, and that was at welterweight. Duplessis now fights at middleweight. He's only what is he? He's only 27. And that time he was like 24, 23 when he fought Soldich. Uh, and those are two really good fights. Everyone should check them out on YouTube. But I, I, I like Drikas Duplessis. I like Trevin Giles too. Drikas Duplessis, his one concern for me is his volume because sometimes he can have really low volume. But my one con- my concern for Trevin Giles is his both of his losses are by guillotines and Duplessis has a few guillotines. All- he has uh, his last three submissions were all guillotines, even what? though he's not as much of a wrestler. But he, he, he does well to lock up those guillotines. Eight years ago, guys got submitted on guillotines all the time. You don't see that happen now. 
You know what I mean? It's the guillotine yeah. choke is, I mean, it's still effective, but it's not the weapon it used to be now. So that makes me cautious. It's the, it's less of an opportunistic thing now. I mean, some guys like Oliveira and Brian Ortega have great guillotines, but more guillotines are going to be had from getting into mount or something and getting someone on the ground, not while they're shooting in on you, because most people can get out of right. it. Right. But yeah, so I know I know this one is uh, one you really really like, Mike. So I, I'll t- I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, there's probably two fights on this card where I have pretty extensive thoughts on. So I'll try to work through this. Um, so I'll start with Giles here. He came into the UFC undefeated um, out of LFA. He's been five and two since joining the promotion. Uh, both of his losses came by way of third round submission. Uh, he had a solid resume even before joining the UFC with wins over Brandon Allen, Mike Villanueva, and Ryan Spann in his regional days, all names that UFC fans know. Um, and although both of his losses are by sub, he's competent on the ground. He's He willingly went to the mat against Gerald Mershar, against Ryan Krause. Uh, even Ryan Spann wanted to grapple with him. And against all those guys, he showed a surprisingly strong ability to uh, reverse positions uh, gain top control, uh, where he sometimes is known to show some pretty aggressive ground and pound. And he really survived a number of nasty submissions. That's really been a theme, uh, surviving tough positions. Uh, you know, against Mirshart, who eventually subbed him, he got out of a number of situations where I thought his, he was, his lights were about to be shut off. Kraus and Span, same thing. So he, he's his survival skills... <laughs> You know, you don't want to end up in situations like that, but he's shown pretty good survival skills, and yeah. he's not scared of grapplers. Uh, in the Mearshart fight, as soon as the bell rang, he he rocked Mearshart. He rocked him with a big right, and while he probably should have just kept hitting him, he took him down. He said, okay, it's just Gerald Mearshart, a BJJ expert. Let's go to the ground and see what <laughs> happens. So he's not scared to go to the ground. Um, yeah. Now, uh, um, Duplessis. Can oh, I get in there for one second because that's yes. my biggest concern with Trevin Giles. That's what I hated on in the Roman Delidze fight because I bet on like, Giles, and he was rocking Delidze on the feet. And Roman Delidze is a great wrestler, but he kept shooting takedowns after hurting him. He did the yeah. same thing against James Krause. He kept hurting him and then trying to take him down. It's like stop. <laughs> You're right, hurting well, him on the feet. You're not a great wrestler. You're not. Well, I wouldn't I even gonna... say. A, Good wrestler. Sorry. Yeah, playing. I'm gonna. No, it's fine because I'm gonna. I agree with you, and I'm gonna. I was gonna actually expand on that. Um, you know, Duplessis is not really known as a grappler. So why did I just go through the whole spiel about all the things that Giles has done on the ground? It's because I have concerns about his IQ and game plan. Unlike the other fighter who I have on this card that we're gonna talk about soon, um, Giles is willing to fight his opponent's fight and allow them to dictate where it goes. Now, I think Duplessis probably wants to fight a pretty pretty similar fight to Giles, where he might be more comfortable. So hopefully that isn't as much of an issue here. But you're absolutely right. He willingly goes to the ground with people who are much better grapplers than him. In one way, that's a good sign. He's he's comfortable there. In another way, it's like, dude, this is not smart fighting. Like, get back yeah. on your feet and punch this guy. Um, but as far as punching goes, he hits hard. He's got a great jab it's there's no uh it's his best weapon uh solid hooks uh he had mirror uh he rarely uses kicks he'll usually mix in one or two head kicks per fight specifically from giles which i don't love that that's something i'd like to see him improve in the ufc bevan 
Lewis was one of the only opponents who won 12 times en route to a KO victory there. Uh, again, he loved managing. I've never seen him like totally gas. Like, just look at his resume and say, oh, he got subbed in the third round twice. He must have just, you know, died and gave Um, You know, he was fighting really good submission artists in those fights. And of really, really nasty submission attempts before he got there. Um, so I, I've heard some people. Oh, he's okay. Soft. I'm here. How much did you miss? Um, a little bit, but I'll be able to clean it up. Don't worry. Keep going. I got it flagged. Well, where should where should he go back to? Um, he said really good submission artist. Okay. Um, talking about uh. Uh, the guys he lost to in the third right round. yeah yeah okay so yeah giles he's got a very relaxed methodical approach uh he waits for openings he does not waste a lot of strikes and he's solid in the clinch as we saw against lewis uh roman delizze did have some clinch control against him but delizze is one of the stronger middleweights so i don't you know consider that a huge concern um also with that delizze fight uh he survives Delizze had a lot of early success with leg leg kicks. Um, and despite Michael Bisping going crazy about how these were going to spell doom for, for Giles, he survived it. You know, I don't listen to commentary ever when, when the fights are live, but um, when I rewatch fights, I'll usually have the volume on. And I mean, Bisping was just going crazy about these Delizze leg kicks. But after round one was over, um, they didn't seem to have any effect. He, you know, and he caught a lot of nasty ones. Uh, and this is important to note because Duplessis uses a lot of leg kicks, which I'll circle back to. Um, but yeah, Duplessis doesn't attempt a ton of takedowns, but Giles has a good sprawl game and yeah, very good overall takedown defense. Uh, the number I saw was 80%, which I actually questions because look at who he's fought, you know? And I've, yeah. seen, him been, I've seen him taken down, but I guess he's just, he's stuffed a lot of takedowns too in his career. Um, on to Duplessis. He was KO'd by Marcus Perez by kind of a weird shot about you three mean he, minutes. You mean he KO'd Marcus Perez? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. He KO'd Marcus <laughs> Perez about three minutes into his UFC debut. Um, it's worth noting that Perez was cut right after that fight. And although he won the debut, uh, Duplessis looked really uncomfortable, kind of stressed out in the, yeah. in the cage. He never really seemed to calm down, and he was pushing, like, kind of weird pace. Um, looking at those KSW fights, uh, you know, like I was saying, he has strong leg kicks. I feel like he telegraphs them somewhat, and he keeps his hands low when he's using the kicks. So um, maybe Giles might be able to, you know, sneak in some counter jabs when those leg kicks come in. Uh, you know, Duplessis seems fairly hittable. He was rocked and dropped uh, multiple times in both of his fights against Soldich in KSW, including the one that he won. Uh, and he's got a tendency to back up to the fence where he doesn't seem comfortable. He shells up a lot. Uh, you guys were talking about it, but he habitually hunts for guillotines. Um, I can envision a situation here where he tries to jump a ghillie and Giles reverses that into some ground and pound. Um, in 17 fights, Duplessis, he's only been to round three four times. He's two and two in those fights, and none of them have gone to decision. So he's not really well-versed <laughs> past round two. And, that, that's you know, an incredible stat. Wow. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, 17 fights never been to decision and in fights that have gone to round three he's 500 he's two and two so 
his best best path to victory here might be early in the fight. Um, so yeah, he was forcing a fast pace against Perez there, and again, he seemed really uncomfortable. Who knows if he'll be a little less jittery this time? But upon rewatching, I couldn't help wonder what he would have looked like if that fight against Perez went to went to the later rounds. Uh, overall, Duplessis is a solid prospect. I'm not crazy impressed with him. I think he still has a number of flaws and concerns. And I'm going to favor the established and versatile pro here in Giles. This was the first fight I locked up on the card. Uh, I got him at an underdog price of minus 105 for 1.2 units. And I don't know why I was in such a hurry because he's still available <laughs> around that price. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> this- moved, it's moved a little bit, but... Uh, you know, it's a pick em some places. Uh, I don't know if he's really plus money anywhere. Uh, maybe uh, plus 100 or something. He's plus he, 103 on sport bet, plus 105 on SIA. Yeah, which he, I'm, I don't he, know what SIA is. He's even plus 100 on bet MGM. You know what I mean? Okay. But, but yeah, he's right there. And this is, I always mention it when we get these fights where uh, both guys are minus money. You know what I mean? This is one yeah, of yeah. those fights. Yeah, I don't really feel like it's a true underdog unless you have that plus next year number. But yeah, it, it is what it is. It's a pick em. And, and so I I lean Giles for sure. I agree with most everything you said. But I just worry so much about that guillotine and that that Giles shoots. Just Giles' fight IQ. Um, I, he, I, I watched him in media day today and he said... Uh, I, I know that he that he was reg- he was cognizant of the fact that Duplessis has a good guillotine and Giles has both of his losses by guillotine. So hopefully um, he'll be able to avoid that and just won't shoot any takedowns. But <laughs> but but it just worries me after uh, after yeah. seeing him rock people on the feet and then shoot for a takedown. It's a fair worry. I mean, it's a close fight. I have Giles yeah. here, but it's, I don't think he's going to run away with this fight. Um, I give him the edge. I think he should be favored. But, um, you know, I won't be shocked at all if Duplessis pulls this off. Um, I yeah. think, like I said, I think finishes finishing it in the first two rounds is uh, Duplessis' best path, path to victory. But we'll yeah. see how it plays out. He's, yeah, but I, uh, just because this is a betting show, he's also even at five dimes. So people that want to take our info, bet MGM and five dimes, you can get him for 100 for 100 right now. Neither are very accessible books, unfortunately. But yeah, five dimes used to be yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, and I I will almost always favor the guy who has more ways to win, and I think that is Giles. I'm not. I don't have it as an official play, but I definitely understand it from your view, and I, and it's a, my a lean of mine. I'll say. Right on. So all right, on to Nico Price versus Michelle Pajera, the the fight of just guys who do crazy shit. Nico Nico Price has two KOs from the bottom, one an up kick against James Vick, one hammer fists from the bottom against Randy Brown. Um, Michelle Pajera, meanwhile, does flips and showtime kicks and stuff on the regular, but he has, in recent fights, has calmed down. He did a bit of that versus Zalimi Imadayev two fights ago, but um, was more calm than when he say fought Tristan Connolly and gassed badly because he was just doing flips and all kinds of things all around the cage and then Connolly was just able to win a decision because uh Pejera was gassed. But Pejera has good jujitsu. He's a powerful striker. Um his defense is 
a worry somewhat. But he fought Chaos Williams in his last fight where he was much more calm. Like, he didn't hardly do any of that crazy shit that he does. And he be, he won a decision against Chaos, who's a, a really, really powerful striker. I I think that Pajeda is going to come out calmer. I think he's a sharper striker, but I think Nico Price has fought better competition, although he's not always won. He's lost to, I mean, pretty much all the best competition he's faced, although he beat Randy Brown and Tim Means, but he lost to Luke, Jeff Neal, uh, Luke again. Um, and his last fight, he drew with Cerrone. It's been overturned to a no contest for weed, but he drew with Cerrone despite that being Cerrone that's, you know, lost, what, six in a row now? Other than yeah. well, He's lost five out of six. His only non-loss was that draw. He hurt Cerrone badly in the first round. He He was... I mean, Cerrone's a slow starter. Price is a hard hitter and fast starter, so it seemed a terrible matchup, but Cerrone was able to bounce back and win the last two rounds for a draw after the initial 10-8 round. So, Pajeda's a bit favored. I think he's the more technical fighter, um, but I worry that being in front of this big crowd might, might make him want to go back to his crazy shit to get uh, points with the not just the fans live but the fans on tv because there will be more people watching this card than any yeah, other card yeah, in the last couple of years he'll want to pull a showtime thing yeah so i worry about him gassing from there and i worry about nico price's power because nico price has incredible power he hasn't won a decision since 2016 in his last fight before joining the ufc um heck no he hasn't even been to decision other than that last fight with cerrone in the past five years and uh almost all of them all but one of those are by knockout for him i i overall i think the price is fair i considered a goes the distance prop because of pajeda calming down re in recent fights but it's not it's only like plus 150 which isn't enough for me to uh pull the trigger on that because it, it still probably ends in a finish i thought the odds for uh, goes to decision would be higher, like plus 200, 230, because of how crazy these guys are and how many finishes they both have. Mike, what do you, you anything? Yeah, not, um, okay. so, um, when we first looked, when I first looked at the lines, I didn't really have a lean on this one, I just kind of glossed over it. But P Michelle Pereira has kind of grown on me over the last couple of weeks, you know. Uh, these guys are both great athletes, um. Pereira's the stronger guy, he's the quicker guy, uh, but he takes a lot of risks, you know? Um, I, I, I teach a class to high school students about um, going on job interviews, just etiquette, procedure, all that stuff. And one thing I tell them is be professional, but let them see your personality. And I would give that similar to advice to Michelle Pereira this week. Like, keep it together, but still show some of that craziness. Like, Don't go doing cartwheels off the cage, but, you know, stay elusive, stay, you know, active, jumping around. You know, you could throw some spinny shit here and there. I won't get mad at you. But, you know, he's always a risk just to kind of go off the deep end and just start acting a fool in the cage. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I love his use of feints. Uh, he's, he's always looking to take the back when he gets his opponents down uh, where Price is not comfortable on the ground. Um I, I think he's got multiple paths to victory here, Michelle Pereira. 
Uh, I think Price, he, he'd have to out-volume um, Michelle, maybe stay at range and spam kicks just to, you know, beat him in total strikes. Or catch catch Pereira doing something risky and maybe knock him out. Um, like you were saying, almost all of Nico Price's fights end inside the distance before that Cowboy fight. Um, just whenever that was a couple months ago or last year. Um, yeah. yeah, and people might be a little bit surprised to see that Michel Pereira, his fights go the distance pretty often. You know, he's known as a crazy, risky fighter, but nearly half of his career fights have gone the distance, even back in the, uh, you know, lower level regional circuits. Um, as things stand currently, this one's likely going to be a pass for me, but I don't hate the idea of taking Pereira here. Uh, he's just, what is he, around 160 now, I think, in most? Yeah, I oh, got him at, just um, ever so um, BetMGM has him 155, but basically it's like a 160, 162, mm -hmm. 165 across the board. Yeah, that's just a little out of the range of where I'd be comfortable taking him, but I wouldn't argue with someone uh, who wanted to go that route. I think he wins this fight, and it's, it's a reasonable price, but like I said, just a little tiny bit outside my comfort zone. I don't think it comes down much more, but... If it were to start dropping for whatever reason, it, it'd be something I'd have to take a good look at. Yeah, I I, I agree. <laughs> uh, all right. So on to the next. We've got the featured prelim um, at welterweight Max Griffin versus legend Carlos Condit. He's old school, but he's very well-rounded. You know what I mean? He's not one-dimensional. No, not at all. And he does have good jujitsu, but he also has one a super glaring weakness, and that's that he's allowed the most takedowns in UFC history, um, despite having uh, had I think the like fifty eighth uh, most takedowns def on him. Only he has the second worst takedown uh, defense rate in UFC history after Louis Smolka, who was supposed to be on this card initially, and. That's, I mean, got him into trouble. He lost to, to Maya, uh, Magni, uh, Michael Chiesa, all, all through just uh, them being able to take good, him down. Yeah, pretty good grapplers, though, all those guys. <laughs> yeah, and they were able to take him down. And Max Griffin does have good takedowns, although sometimes he opts not to use them and goes with his hands, which he doesn't have bad hands at all. But I think in the hands, it's more even or even an edge to Carlos Condit. But just that that glaring weakness, it, it's I mean, it's bad. It, it's pretty bad to to have that many takedowns given up, especially in a division with so many good wrestlers. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's viewed as a dinosaur. Yeah. All the best guys in this division for so many years. Of course, who keep winning? Uh, Matt Brown and Court McGee. Um, I shouldn't say keep winning, but are, they're still winning fights. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Condit, he's still, he's still out there looking like a creative and skilled striker, using his kicks well. Um, when things get to the ground, he's not completely lost, but that takedown defense is a huge weakness for him, and it might be exploited in this fight. Um, I was interested to see that he's, as recently as this past May, 
he's participating in Submission Underground uh, grappling series. Oh yeah, so he's still he's still trying to sharpen his grappling game at this advanced age, which I think that's pretty admirable. Um, yeah, he yeah. talked about um, on the media day today. He talked about how wh- the reason he's still in the sport is to keep learning. That that's the reason. That's his motivation for continuing to fight is to keep learning <laughs> and developing as a martial artist in all facets. Right on. That was interesting. Yeah, I mean Griffin. You know, he's probably more athletic, faster. You know, he uses jabs well. Lots of fundamental one twos. Not super great hand speed. Uh, I th- doesn't really run away with anything. He doesn't really have a signature win. I guess Mike Perry. Does that still count as, as a signature I don't know win? Anywhere. Um, I think his last. Even though Kanan's song isn't great, he was a little bit of a prospect. But that the yeah. way which he got it done surprised a lot mm-hmm. of people, myself included. Yeah. Um, he's shown he can be rocked by a good shot, though. And, I, you know, he gets a lot of empty takedowns. He doesn't always do a lot when he gets his opponents down. Um, yeah. I think Condit could, is the value side here. Uh, and I wouldn't argue with anyone who wanted to take him. Yeah, he's got a huge weakness in the takedown defense. Uh, but like I said, if, if for whatever, whenever this stays standing, I think Condit could be the better man. So, you know, how, how what percentage of this fight can he keep? The action on the feet uh, at the price it's at. I think he's about one sixty. Um, yeah, yeah. I see him at uh, one fifty-two to one sixty-five, depending where you go. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll put it this way: I wouldn't. I'm not taking Max Griffin at what close to plus or minus two hundred. No way. Um, well, here, but I I think the value is on Conde and. I, I would absolutely understand if someone wanted to take a shot on the dog there. Yeah, um, I agree. I think I, I have a lean that way just for value, but also have a lean. That's enough for me. I think the best play if someone, like if you had to pick a play for this, the best play would be goes the distance. Right. Um, Max Griffin hasn't been finished since 2016 when he fought Colby. And that was that was uh, after a lot, a lot of ground and pound. And Carlos Condit, I mean, Max Griffin isn't like uh, isn't a submission guy, and that's mo- mm. the majority of the time. That's how Carlos Condit is gonna lose. Uh, his last three uh, times he got finished were all uh, submissions. Yeah, that's a good play. Goes the distance. Yeah, what is yeah, that? Um, Minus two hundred or so, or yeah, am, I, so am I thinking no, of Tavares? I thought it, it, so. The over two point five is about minus two hundred. Goes the okay. distance. So this isn't an official play. Just a lean. Um, minus one seventy, minus one eighty, minus one seventy on sport bet, minus one eighty bet online. Um, so it's that, not that's just my lean. Uh, or, or if you like a fighter, you could even bet on them method of victory to go by decision. But yeah, I'm staying off of it. All right, so on to the main card now. At long last, we have Sean, Sugar Sean O'Malley versus the weakest matchup that could have possibly been made. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. A guy who's nine and four is the number seven bantamweight in New England, not even in America, and that's on the <laughs> regional scene. So excluding fighters in top promotions, um, a guy who's been knocked out. Uh, three and four fights ago respectively, who's been knocked down in three of his last four fights. Uh, just, why, just a random why is this person even a fight? Was, 
because they had to get someone short notice and they didn't want to get someone who could beat him, I I, I imagine, because no, they, they want to make Sean O'Malley a star. Yeah, they can't afford to have him lose on a Connor card. I mean, yeah. you're see, Ricky Simone is the name that keeps popping up. He wanted to fight him. I saw Tim Elliott wanted to fight him. I love watching Tim Elliott fight. I would, that would be a good yeah, fight. That one yeah. got me all excited. Would beat him and they... Well, Mike, that's what I'm saying is there, there's a hundred um, yeah. better contenders that would have took this fight, and they got this the... can. <laughs> you know? More than that. Yeah, I'm not a Sean O'Malley hater, but we still don't know what the hell this guy is because who is he for? Uh, Cheeto Vera, who he got hurt three minutes into the fight. I mean, I don't know. Almeida was an okay opponent, but this is going to be yeah. this is one of the he's already one of the biggest stars in the promotion, but he hasn't even fought anyone, and it's at the point where we have Chris Mutino on the main card of a Connor uh, pay per view, like. What yeah. is this? I don't know. I have I have nothing <laughs> on this fight. I have no plays. It's basically unplayable in my opinion. So it, it, the money line definitely is not playable. It's minus it's like minus one thousand now. I think yeah. it's yeah. minus nine hundred. Yeah, one thousand nine fifty, depending where you go. One thousand, one thousand, one thousand. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I thought, hey, I O'Malley's gonna knock this guy out. The knockout odds are like minus two seventy five, which isn't horrible, but I don't really want to play it there, even though I think it's a very I think there is a little bit of an edge there, but I don't want to play that juice and I have a better spot or actually a couple ideas. At first I was like, huh, what about knockout in round one? That's probably gonna be like minus one fifty. That's a bit much. But knockout in round one is plus one fifteen. So I thought that's interesting. Um the over under under 1.5 is minus 165. And Sean O'Malley on the media day called his shot a second round knockout. So originally I was thinking I'll take that. Uh, I mean, I should go. I should go over why O'Malley is going to beat him other than just saying O'Malley good, Moutinho bad. But, <laughs> you know, actually talk technique. But 1.5, I think he gets the knockout in the first round. And if not, if he just holds off because he wants the pretty looking knockout or like he did against Almeida but but also Almeida is really really tough like as tough as they come um and Moutinho is not uh or if it's just he wants to make his prediction come true so we can be like Mystic Mac which is he seems like he wants to be Conor McGregor yeah um so I I I have a play here on the under 1.5 but I'll get into why O'Malley is good I mean he has weaknesses, and he hasn't fought anyone who's ranked other than Cheeto. Um, but he's the he's a very active, prolific, voluminous, interesting striker with star power. He has great hand speed. He has KO power for the division. Um, what's his? He's only been to decision. His last decision was in 2018 against Andre Sukhamtath. Who Sukhamtath? however you say it that <laughs> um he's he calls himself undefeated but he lost to marlon Vera. he says it was oh it was it was a fluke but par peritoneal or perineal nerve injuries happen and other guys are taking their losses from him so i count that as a real loss fuck but, yeah it's a real loss yeah um but either way his his record is impressive um he uses such a vast variety of different techniques you know spinning kicks uh, sidekicks he'll stay he'll use all four possible stances other than uh just flat stance with meaning bladed southpaw 
more square southpaw, bladed orthodox, more more square orthodox, set things up and use different uh, attacks. And he switches back and forth all the time. I don't even actually know which hand is his dominant hand. He's great at controlling range with his long reach, which he's 5'11". That, that's huge at bantamweight with a 72-inch reach and really long, even longer legs. Um, he uses front kicks so well, to, uh, especially when he's in open stance matchups with opponents to keep range and just dig into their belly and do damage. It's very effective. He His best uh, ability, I'd say, is his ability to use feints to set up and land his power strikes. Um, such as the Eddie Wineland fight, where he, I mean, he's consistently just bobbing, you know, bobbing his head, head faking, shoulder faking, you know, putting punches out there, but not throwing them until the closing moment came where they were on the feet. Uh, he faked the right uppercut, uh, from Orthodox to bring Wineland's hands down and came over the top with the same exact hand. It was so fast to go up and then over. You, If you blinked, you could miss it. Or, I mean, even if you just saw it in real time, you could miss it. And then one-shot KOing Eddie Wineland, who right. in the scrub, he was a WEC title challenger. No, I mean, no. he's not a top guy anymore, but he's still tough and competitive yeah, in this division. Yeah, I, I want to say that about Wineland because I used to watch a lot of the WEC in the old days, and Wineland is a world-class striker. But he did fight an older Wineland that had lost a half step. Still, still a good win. You know what I mean? He that killed. Was, he killed yeah. Wineland. That was yeah. a scary knockout. Yeah, it was one yeah. shot KO. But Wineland in his prime was very good. He was very good, mm. man. He he was a very scary striker in the early days of UFC. But he's like, what's Eddie Wineland like? A hundred years old. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't even know, but yeah, he's not—he's not on a great streak, though. He has fought he's, tough. He's had that must—he's had that mustache since it was like originally fashionable, I think, in the nineteen <laughs> twenties. Um, but also per MMA by the numbers, Sean O'Malley is the most accurate striker in UFC history from distance, uh, with a threshold of at least five hundred distance strike attempts. Um, and a lot of those guys are skewed by leg kicks because leg kicks are so much more accurate. Sean O'Malley, he does throw some leg kicks, but they're not like the majority. Like third place is Justin Gaethje, who throws like 25% of his strikes as leg kicks. O'Malley does not. Um, so first, out of 508 strikers in UFC history, even if it's a lower level of opponent, it's still very impressive. And you can see that accuracy in his fights. Even stuff like his spinning kicks land more often than not especially to the body when he'll do spinning heel kicks to the body and, you know, fold people over with that. Um, he has weaknesses, but I don't think Moutinho will be able to exploit them. His main weakness is obviously his skinny legs. He's so tall and long at the division. He has to be stick thin, you know, to make the weight. And so he's vulnerable to leg kicks as he, Cheeto Vera found out and potentially wrestling. We haven't seen enough to know, but he does have experience grappling. He does, uh, Quintet Ultra, which is a, a, a grappling uh, competition on the side, like like Submission Underground. He's fought or rolled with guys like Gilbert Melendez, Takanori Gomi, and Hector Lombard. Uh, he drew with Melendez, I think, and and beat Takanori Gomi. So he, he and he has a couple subs on his resume. So I, I Moutinho does like to shoot takedowns and uh, at times. Um, I don't see it as being that much of a threat. He doesn't have great top control, even if he gets you down. So I think O'Malley's just being that long, first of all, helps you get back up. And also his jujitsu is good enough, I think, to 
stave that off. It becomes a factor. So Moutinho, like I said, he's been knocked out and knocked down a lot. His head is very much out there to be hit. Um, he he has a tendency to leave his lead, hand, which he also switches stances. He has a tendency to leave his lead hand out there to either hand fight or try to bait the opponent. You know, tease them into doing something so he can fire with his opposite hand. Although he doesn't, I, at least I think that's what he's trying to do. It, it doesn't always seem clear. I think he does. He's one of those guys, which a lot of young guys do, is that he's too young and inexperienced to know why he's doing the things he's doing. He just knows that he's told to do them and has been coached to do them. But when he leaves that lead hand out there, he's very open to shots over the top. Um, and that's how he's been dropped a few of the times he's been dropped is just not having his hand up because he's baiting opponents with it. Um, yeah, I mean, he can string combos together well. He loves to crash forward into the clinch, just rush forward and miss and end up in the clinch. But O'Malley is a much longer and bigger guy. Uh, we haven't seen much of him in the clinch, so, I mean, it's it's possible Moutinho could control him there a bit. But I really think he's he's there to be hit. He doesn't have... He's not great defensively. He's not even great offensively, better than he is defensively, though. I think O'Malley knocks him out. Um... So I'm on the under 1.5 here, uh, which is at it's minus 165 for under 1.5. That's probably uh, that's probably the it. best bet to make here, because yeah, it's either yeah. that or inside the distance for O'Malley. Well, but I, one sec, it's at BetUS is where you can get that. You can also get minus 170 at Sport Bet or five dimes. Mike, do you have anything to say? Otherwise, I'll talk my shit. No, I mean, I could understand someone taking a run at O'Malley um, by KO or whatever you could find that's somewhat affordable. This one's going to be just a total pass for me, though. Yeah, it it's ridiculous. O'Malley is going to win this fight. The only decent bet to make is, like, a Val's prop bet is good, 1.5. That's pretty good because... yeah. I mean, I can't understand why this is on the main card. I can't understand why, other than, well, I do understand why, because they want to make Sean O'Malley a star. Yeah, it, but it's and, Yeah, they put it, this guy's a can. I mean, he could probably whoop my ass. Not probably, for sure, he could whoop my ass. You know what I mean? But he has no business fighting on the main event at the UFC level it's it's fucking stupid yeah yep um <laughs> well that that's my bet that uh did i say one unit at minus 165 um sorry but I hate, yeah sorry i hate it yeah i got a little yeah wrong, no i, I understand and i got stupid. really pissed when o'malley said oh when you know, o'malley fans and people were like oh ricky simone you shouldn't have put your name out there if you couldn't make the weight but O'Malley initially had said in his video that he would do it at 145, then went back on that. So, yeah, I'm not like an O'Malley hater, but that pissed me they, off because I think Ricky was getting unnecessary hate. Well, dude, they could have got a uh, a top 10 guy from this division with some division. grappling skills to fight O'Malley in the second. They could have got it. It's the don't deepest division. <laughs> yeah, it is. They could have got a lot of guys, right? but they don't want to. They, they're... Yeah, like that's your shot. Really, I don't know. All right, on to the women's MMA fight of the main card: Irene Aldana versus Yana Kunitskaya. I know you want to talk about this one. I also have a play for this one. Um, I'll just sum it up. Aldana's a, a boxer, a good boxer. Um, 
she was tipped to be the next challenger for Amanda Nunez, but lost to Holly Holm. So they went another direction. Uh, Kunitskaya, she challenged for the featherweight title against Chris Cyborg in his, her UFC debut. Got absolutely destroyed, of course. But she's done a pretty good job of winning despite her boring fight style. But boring can be effective. She just she has a 50% offensive control rate, so she's very good at controlling her opponents. Um, Mike? Yeah, I know. I had a lot to say about the Giles fight. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit long-winded on this one, too. I'll try to work my way through it here. Um, so, yeah, um, Irene Aldana is an excellent boxer. She's very tall, very long, and she will basically dominate any opponent that's willing to go toe-to-toe with her in a boxing match, besides Holly Holm, who dominated her everywhere. She struck her significantly, worked her over in the clinch. Uh, she took Aldania down five times. Um, mm-hmm. Aldania did show good cardio in that fight uh, through five rounds. That was somehow a main event. Um, but, you know, if you look at like Vanessa Mello wanted to stand there and trade with Aldania for 15 minutes and she got absolutely picked apart. Um, so while Aldania is a great boxer, she wastes a lot of punches and she sometimes struggles with accuracy. Uh, this is kind of a crazy stat, but against Raquel Pennington, Aldania landed one of her first 40 significant strike attempts. Ouch. <laughs> she, Ouch. She, she, finished, <laughs> she finished that fight 75 of 208 attempts total. And that's not the only time in which she threw 200 plus strikes and landed fewer than half. So she's regularly just wasting, wasting strikes um, to the tune of over 100 per fight. Um, now, despite her inaccuracy in that fight, she did dictate the action against Pennington for uh, a little over a round and a half. And then Pennington, from that point on, kind of controlled the rest of the match, um, either in the clinch or on the ground. And Aldania just looked outmatched um, and eventually lost a split decision to Pennington. Uh, so whenever Aldania winds up anywhere other than a striking battle, she starts losing the fight. Uh, she's got an inconsistent get-up game sometimes, even at times against Holm. She did a good job getting uh, you know, her opponent off of her. Sometimes she just seems stagnant and just lays on the ground and accepts it. Uh, she struggles to improve her position when she's on the ground. Uh, she has good, really good takedown defense metrics, but when you watch her, it doesn't seem like impossible to get her down. Uh, like I said, Holm got her down five times. Uh, Pennington had her down. Um, She's going to look, Aldania's going to look like a minus 300 favorite if this fight stays standing. But I'm hoping that it won't stay standing because my play here is Yana Kunitskaya. Um, you know, earlier I mentioned how Trevin Giles' willingness to let his opponents dictate a fight concerns me. But Yana always seems to come into fights with a good game plan and an intention to make her opponents feel uncomfortable. Uh, she isn't successful with that 100% of the time, but. She's a versatile fighter, and it looks like she always knows what she should be doing, at least. I mean, you know, execution isn't always there, of course. Um, I don't put a ton of stock into this, but I think it bears mentioning that she, of course, is married to Tiago Santos. I think yeah. if you, if your significant other is also getting up to train and eating that strict diet and living that lifestyle, it helps you to stay a little more focused. So, I don't, like I said, I don't put a ton of stock in that, but um, that's one thing I... Just wanted to mention in case anyone yeah. didn't know that. And she's uh-huh. out of ATT, so, yeah. you know, yeah. big team around her. Whereas Aldania just, I think she just trains, like, with her dad. Um, I mean, not just, they have, like, a gym, but yeah. And also, she, what kind? She, she She's basically even money across the line. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. Well, 
I think I think it's pretty good bet. It won't be my dog of the week, but that's pretty good. Yeah, bet. I've got a few more notes on 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 Yana. Yeah, I've actually a lot. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Just keep going. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so the like the first thing you notice about her, Lynch, uh, she's magnetized to the cage, and she's at her best when she's bullying and muscling her opponents up against the wall and working them over. Um, you know, she's not really a cleaner, or pure striker. Definitely not anything on Aldana's level when it comes to like boxing technique, but she has some power and she's relentless. Uh, she has a good grunt game, like she's always vocalizing her strikes, <laughs> like a Calderwood or like a Holly Holm, which that tends to play well with judges. Uh, and she's constantly landing strikes regardless of position. Here's the craziest stat I've got for you guys tonight, and I, I, I want to tweet this out, I saved it for you guys. Um, so obviously, she lost her US. UFC debut to Cyborg in the uh, featherweight title fight. She's fought five times. Giannis fought five times in the UFC since then. In those five fights, in total strikes, she's outstruck her opponents 788 to 275. Wow, that's wow. a good one, dude. Holy so shit. What helps with that? 100. Sorry. Is, no, go ahead. Well, what helps with that is in her last two fights, she's only absorbed 13 total significant strikes. In yeah. Her last has, I mean, combined, 30 minutes of fighting. Yeah. Well, with totals, this is, I'm looking at total oh, here. Total um, okay. It's, yeah. No, so against, that's, uh, that's Vieira, an incredible was, stat. Against Vieira, it was 215 to 35. Stolyranko, 209 to 30. Uh, Aspen Ladd was the only close one, 92 to 85. She, Yana lost that one, but she still had seven more total strikes. Um, Mariana Renault, 113 to 64, and Lena Landsberg, 159 to 61. So you saw it against Vera. No matter where she is, no matter what her position is, she's throwing strikes and she's landing strikes. Um, so that plays well with the judges, too. Uh, you know, her last, you know, like you were just alluding to, her last couple opponents have been BJJ specialists. Uh, she was last seen exploding Caitlin Vera's face with elbows with 17 seconds left in what, was a, in what was a controversial decision because. She was controlled for that whole, you know, four and a half minutes of the last round, but yeah, there landed no strikes. Um, I think that's when people really realized, oh, these new rules are are much mm -hmm. different. We started taking into effect how much more strikes matter with the new unified rules. Yeah, but they still go back and forth with it. Like, yeah, they do. <laughs> there's I, no consistency. I, yeah, I just think that changed the public's opinion. Not right, right, right. For judges, but yeah, my bad. Keep yeah. On. And uh, before that, she fought Julia Stolyarenko, which is low competition, but she showed how strong she was. Um, she basically just did what she wanted and held Julia up in the yeah. clinch for the whole fight. And Stolyarenko kept trying to drop to the ground. Uh, at one point, I forgot what round it was, but Jan ends up just lifting her up and holding her, holding her off the ground. These women are the exact same weight, and she's just holding her up effortlessly. Like, Jan is strong. Yeah. Um, I mean, they make the exact same weight, but... Yana was a featherweight before the UFC and in her yeah, first yeah. UFC fight. She she's one of the bigger women in the division, and that's yeah, why absolutely. she's so successful in the clinch in part. Yeah, well, Aldana's big too, so it, it bears yeah. it yeah. bears mentioning here. But uh, and uh, so yeah, against Aspen Ladd, uh, Yana was bested on the ground, just like she was against Vieira. She can be held down by a skilled grappler, but I don't think that's a huge concern against Aldana. Uh, when Yana fought Renault or Lena Landsberg, she had the grappling edge, so she willingly went to the ground, and she got the better of her opponents there. Um, one big concern, somewhat big concern, I don't know how big of a concern it should be, but considering the current state of the UFC rule enforcement 
and there's Nick Naragamu and Tanner Bozer. Um, Yama's a habitual cage grabber. Uh, it's uh. probably partially it's probably partially the result of the amount of time she spends facing the cage while clinching, but she receives warnings in basically every fight, and all of a sudden in the UFC, that's become a point of contention after well, years it, of. It's gotten worse over the last few years. It's gotten terrible. Yeah. But I feel like the last month, it's re- people are really, yeah. for the first time, like crying, you know, crying out one, about it. That one uh, Nirigami fight, yeah, it was horrible. Five yeah. mornings and no point deduction. I don't know. The worst I saw this year was uh, Cachuera against, uh, was it Gina Mazzani oh, yeah. or whatever. But uh, they grabbed it. Yeah. Well, we want to go off of that. Anyway, right. But um, so anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, I think it's a close fight. Um, Aldana could piece her up, like I was saying, if this stays on the feet. But I'm going to bank on Yana to try to di- dictate where this fight goes. Ideally, she can get it on the ground or up against the cage where she'll have an advantage. Uh, she has a style the judges like. And I mean, I don't use this in handicapping either, but she just looks scary as hell. Like when you see them being announced, her face scares me. And she's not even trying to mean my typical just. Yeah, mean Eastern European vibe. Um, about a week and a half ago, I locked up one unit on Yana at plus one twenty-five, and she's she's not plus money at some books anymore. She's about even. You might be able to get her plus at a couple books, but um, she's lost some value since I locked this in. That plus one twenty-five is long gone. Um, I think she's still playable if you think she can fight her fight, but um, you know, obviously, I liked her a lot better at uh, when she was yeah. more of a considerable dog there. Yeah, so I I wish I'd gotten on her at the same time you did. So originally I was like I just I was colored I hadn't started like fully taping them and I was colored by bias because I like Aldanya she's fun and Yana isn't fun mm-hmm. as as a fight fan. But I, I I agree with you. She she's just so much bigger and better in grappling and wrestling clinch aspects. Aldanya. She has deceptively good takedown defense because it is good. Like it is good, and she does have good getups. She has like yeah, the numbers takedown defense. The numbers don't lie, but there's other numbers because MMA numbers are so restri- restrictive. She, um, in fights where her opponents, this is per by again by the goat numbers MMA at numbers MMA on Twitter. Um, she is one in three in fights where opponents shoot two or more takedowns on her, and in each of those fights, um. Opponents have been able to control her for five plus minutes. Uh, despite her take, she they'll still be able to control her in the clinch. Um, and Yana is better. So if we look at Aldanya's opponents who who beat her and and controlled her, you got well Holly Holm took her down five times. Um, you got Raquel Pennington and should I forget if it was Caitlin Chikigian or Leslie Smith, but that was quite a while ago. I think it was but, Leslie Smith. Yeah, Leslie Smith is another big girl featherweight like uh, Yana was. is in the clinch, not on the ground, but yeah, it, it, in half of her fights have been in, uh, dictated by her offensively controlling people, and she has great dirty boxing, like you said, with the that insane stat of like 700 to 200 total strikes in her UFC career. She's great at just holding you there in dirty boxing, just just tapping you, tapping you, tapping you, which and racking up points as the fight goes on. So mm. I I agree with you. I looked for a way to up the odds a little bit. Um, so Yana has in the UFC not had a single finish. Her last finish 
was um versus Yanan Wu in 2016 in Fight Spirit Championship. Yanan Wu is in the UFC now, but she is has is not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't have much of a ground game. Um meanwhile, uh and she hasn't been she has been finished by Aspen Lad and Chris Cyborg, both above Aldania's level, in my opinion. Um and better at staying out of where Kunitskaya wanted the fight. Aldana, meanwhile, she only finished Ellen Vieira and Bech Cahaya, Um, and she hasn't been finished inside the UFC, hasn't been finished since she was in, in Invicta fighting Tanya Evinger, who, coincidentally enough, was uh, one of the losses on Yana's record for the Invicta FC title. She did beat her, too. I think that was overturned for some reason, yeah, but they, they fought time. twice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Tanya's good. She, she's yeah was one of the best talents outside the UFC best a staple in Invicta back then um anyway so I think Kunitskaya wins she's not a finisher she she grinds you out to a decision um Aldanya doesn't get finished hasn't gotten finished since Evinger ground and pounded her in the fourth round in 2015 so I like Yana to win this one I got the odds I think it was plus 160 let me double check on that so yeah, Kunitskaya by decision. You can get plus 160 at Sportsbet, five dimes, or Sia, which I don't know what that is, or plus 162 at Unibet, which I can't use. So I'm going with a plus 160 that I can access on five dimes in Sportbet. Um, a method of victory has, it inherently carries more risk. And it it's, but that's was just a way to get value out of a situation where the value had lessened by the time I got it, I think. So half a unit plus one sixty for yeah, Kunitskaya. I was surprised to see this line get all the way down like that because Aldana. I guess she just didn't look very good against home, but yeah. she's coming. She's coming off a, a main event, and I don't know. She's, <laughs> she's fun. I mean, she's she's fun to watch. She, she yeah, Vieira two fights ago. Yeah, I didn't plan on making my play so early, but I saw the line start to move at a lot of spots dropping down to 115 or whatever and i still had access to 125 at one of my shops so i just i locked it in like i said about a week and a half ago and uh, i'm glad i did yeah glad you did too for your sake <laughs> yeah um <laughs> all right so on to the next we've got the fat jiggly heavyweights <laughs> tied to ivasa infamous for doing shoeies after fights and just being a funny dude in general He's he's one of the more fun heavyweights in the UFC because he I mean he's just fun um to to listen to. He has a fun personality. He's still young so he's growing and he's doesn't gas out as easily as other uh heavyweights who gas out after like one round. Um he has a big weakness to wrestling as we've seen in two his last two losses um four, three and four fights ago he got wrestled to a decision and uh, a submission. Before that JDS knocked him out. So and th those were his first three losses in his career after going nine and zero. He has the one punch KO power that his opponent Greg Hardy doesn't have. Uh, Greg Hardy's more accuracy and uh, attrition. There was a period until he fought Andre Arlovski. Tai Tuivasa had not been out of a first round, and he went the and that was a big test because it was Andre. He was ranked back then still at like number nine, I think. Um, and he went to a decision and. Dropped him, dropped Arlovsky once, went to a decision and beat him. 
Taisu Ivasa, he's known for sparring with Mark Hunt. And if you've seen the clip that is not viral, but it's around of them sparring, it's brutal. They're basically just doing regular Muay Thai, it seems, with no pads, no holding back. Um, that fact alone suggests he has a crazy good chin, and we've seen that in his fights. Uh, he hasn't been knocked out. He was TKO'd once by JDS, and that was a ground and pound from full mount, even though JDS did drop him to get him there. Ty wasn't out of it at all. He just had taken too much punishment, and the ref stopped it. Although he protested, it was a good stoppage. But my point is that he is hard to put out. Meanwhile, Greg Hardy does not have the same power as a lot of heavyweights. He has knockouts, but they're almost all attritional. And he only has one knockdown in his UFC career against Maurice Green, who is, I mean, like a lot of heavyweights, Maurice Green is not, not good. Uh, Greg Hardy has, he'll get people on the ground, like Juan Adams and Dmitry Smolayakov, ground and pound wins, um, or go to the decision, like Jorgen DeCastro went to a decision, not a great fighter. I don't think, I think he got cut. Um, Ben Zasoli, not a great fighter, he went to the decision. That was overturned for the infamous incident where Greg Hardy used an inhaler between rounds. Um, and then he has one illegal, illegal knee loss that was in his debut. So he's kind of all over the place, really. He has, like Taizu Ivasa, he has a big weakness to wrestling, as we saw in his last fight. He also doesn't have a good gas tank. Despite almost needing to win by attrition, he will gas. He threw everything at Marcin Tibera in that first round of his last fight, hitting him cleanly, but never enough to knock him down or knock him out of it. And then Tibera uh got him had still had gas in the second round took him down and grounded and pounded him it, it was just dominant in the second round so th this should be a fun stand-up fight um greg hardy is more like taito has never attempted a takedown greg hardy's attempted three so there's a chance that that he moves to take taito Ivasa down because if either of these guys end up on their back they're not getting back up anytime soon um this, as far as stats go uh, Type 2 Vasa lands more, 4.7 per minute compared to 3.9 for Hardy. Has 3% more accuracy at 47%. Um, slightly worse defense because he will trade a shot for a shot. He'll let you hit him. He'll come forward with his head out there. But he can take a shot really well. And like I said, he has more knockout power. A 2.1 knockdown rate against Greg Hardy, who has a 0.6% uh, knockdown rate with only one in his UFC career. Um, his stats are, could be a bit skewed by the Volkov fight, uh, as Volkov was the best opponent either of them faced, and Volkov, uh, dominated Greg Hardy for 15 minutes. But overall, I think the line, I, I lean tied to Ivasa. He's like minus 135. Um, I, I just have a slight lean for him, but I think the odds are about appropriate. Uh, softer. Oh, yeah. Well, you I have... <laughs> I have tons to say just, but I don't, th I think Hardy's a pretender. He's, I think he's bullshit. He, um, he got, he got into the UFC because of his name and who he was. And he's injury prone. He's got a bad attitude. He doesn't train well. He's just, I mean, He's just an ass kicker on the streets, but I don't think he's any kind of mixed martial artist at all. Also, uh, an ass kicker uh, in his home as he beat up his wife. <laughs> right, right. I think I think he's full of shit, and now that he's in the UFC, he'll get owned. I really do, dude. I think Greg Hardy is a paper tiger in the UFC. 
Yeah, I, they've tried to push him, and every time he steps up to Volkov and to Tibera, he lost. Um, yeah, he's uh, well. You should we should say that he's a name because he played for the Cowboys. Was uh, for that domestic violence incident I referenced. He was uh, suspended from the league, and yeah, was he suspended or totally expelled. Um, yeah, like, um, man. Oh. Yeah, what was it? Um, he missed the first. Ten, he was suspended for the first ten games out of a sixteen-game okay. season. But yeah, and then he was a con- he was just so controversial. Like people didn't like him, obviously, and he wasn't a star. Like okay, if you're Ray Lewis, uh, uh, they let you get away with whatever. Uh, you know, Ray Lewis, Ray Rice, those uh, guys, Tyreek Hill, they let you get away with stuff. <laughs> but if if you're Greg Hardy. Who he was a decent lineman, defensive lineman, not great. They don't, and you get ran out of football. That was in 2014, and yeah, he transitioned to MMA and did better than people expected. Uh, just coming over so late, but it's easy to easier to do at heavyweight when you're when you're a big guy. Right, right. I think, uh, I think he, I mean, he's a tough motherfucker, but he doesn't. He never trained in any kind of martial arts discipline he's just a tough guy and i don't yeah. i don't think it translates well yeah and i i really think that um the issue like it, issue of not having one punch knockout power is tough when you don't have anything else to fall back on like wrestling or cardio um so that's why i lean towards tai tuivasa but the the fact that hardy has attempted takedowns in the past at least means to me that it's possible that he takes down Tai Tuivasa, though the fans would not like that. And he's just on this main card because he's a name, somewhat of a name. He's not like a even like a Sean yeah. O'Malley level name. He's just a minor name. Right, but in the NFL. that's the reason he's here is because of his name. It, and also, I would like to say, you would think a defensive lineman should be able to pull a double leg takedown. At will, yeah, right. You would think that. <laughs> yeah, he's one of three in his UFC takedowns. So I know you want to talk about the co-main event. We already did an episode on the co-main event on uh, last week, but the floor is yours, buddy. Yeah, Mike. Right. Go ahead. You had you had some thoughts on this. Unless yeah, you want I to don't think about Tuivasa, but you don't have to. Um, well, for that one, I I won't get too too much into like the details. You kind of broke down like. You know their strengths and weaknesses pretty well, but um, I did have. I am going to make a play on that one. It's not locked in yet, but um, with Tuivasa, he's oh. he's only been to round three twice in fifteen fights. Uh, one of those was against Arlovsky, which everyone goes to decision against Arlovsky. Um, by the way, um, since we started recording this, we're recording on Wednesday night. Um, I did. I got the news. I just saw the news that uh, they just announced Andre Arlovsky versus. Uh, Carlos Boy Felipe for October. Oh, nice. nice. So, yeah. Felipe was asking for that one. Yeah, give me fight goes the distance on that one. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Ty, Ty's only been to round three twice. He's been to round two only four times in 15 fights. So 11 of his 15 fights have ended in round one. And I know a lot of those were early on, but you know he's still, for his last two fights ended in round one. It's still happening. Uh, both of these guys have a lot of knockouts. Uh, yeah, Hardy doesn't have that one-touch death touch, but... He's a heavyweight. If he catches enough clean shots, he can knock out his opponent. Um, and, you know, people seem to think he's got like a more methodical, measured approach now. It looks that way when you're fighting a Marcin Tybura or Volkanowski. Tuavasa uh, is going to apply pressure. He's going to want to stand and bang and get the hell out of there and go drink out of his shoe or whatever the hell he does. 
Um, I think this one ends in the distance. I was looking at Fight Doesn't Start Round 3, which was dead even money. But um, the price has come down a little on under 2.5 to 125, 130 right now. Uh, I'm going to be looking to play one of those two bets, either under 2.5 or Round 3 Doesn't Start. Um, so, you know, check out my Twitter over the next couple of days. You'll see something locked in on that. Shout out but, your Twitter. Oh, yeah, just Strong and Jacket, at Strong and Jacket, which I've done some rebranding over the last week or so. It's I'm now it's Strong and Jacket MMA picks, not just UFC anymore. So <laughs> you've noticed <laughs> I've put out like uh, LFA, PFL, Bellator picks the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll put it in the notes, Mike. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, the co-main Thompson versus Burns. You guys did an awesome oh, oh. show. Actually, you reminded me. Sorry, you reminded me. Sure. So initially, I was thinking about the other side, but that's only because I assumed the odds would be like plus three hundred for goes the distance. Um, but no, they're like plus one fifty, and that swings it. So yeah, I do lean. Uh, doesn't go the distance at 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 the odds. Uh, it's at now. Yeah, the price is just surprisingly affordable for for heavyweights yeah. who knock people out a lot like i yeah. know like you said hardy doesn't have that death touch ty kind of does Tuvasa, yeah Tuvasa definitely <laughs> and hardy at the least he's got a lot of i think seven of his 10 fights have ended in knockout uh so yeah you know, and, it happens. and i was but, i was dogging him but um to be an nfl defensive lineman you got to have a shitload of heart you know what i mean just to get in there hmm. and do it so and he doesn't an seem athlete. super he doesn't seem super disciplined even if he wants to come in as a more methodical fighter if Ty wants to throw bricks with him i think he might fall into a frenetic pace uh yeah he might because he he's a charge forward like nfl player you know what i mean just going in and walking into a a um yeah he's a, a prideful guy he's, yeah he thinks he's an alpha <laughs> male which they all do and he's he's not going to yeah. want to back down from a, a slugfest i don't think I just don't he can think more disciplined, right? Uh, yeah. maybe he could take I him. just, I just, I, um, he he's a tough motherfucker for sure, but I just don't think um, he's at a new level of competition now. He he may have been big shot in Bellator, but I don't. He has no real training in this, and I believe that uh, MMA is a science and a real discipline, and you gotta know a lot about it and. He doesn't have that yet. Yeah, and you know because he is a big name, he's getting top level guys. He's fought Volkov. You know, right, right. Right. You should give him um, what's the guy's name? Uh, who fought uh Roki a couple weeks ago? Give him that guy, Parisian oh, yeah. or Roki. Give him yeah. these guys. You know, give him Carlos Felipe. I don't know. Well, yeah, and, I mean, he went from a decision with Ben Sassoli to fighting Alexander Volkov in Russia. <laughs> well, well, I mean, can you tell me any other reason Greg Hardy is on the main card and Carlos Condit is on the undercard? Yeah, no, I mean, well, <laughs> oh, they love they love to put these the heavyweights up top. They they put they yeah. put worse heavyweights than. Then Greg Hardy is like the co-main on fight nights. You know? I think, yeah, that's definitely true. We saw that recently. I think I think he was on the main card of the uh, Gaethje versus Ferguson fight. If not the main card, he was like a featured prelim or something. But anyway, uh, we should go move on. Um, mm. Do your thing. Yeah, so I, you know, I checked out you guys' show last week where you uh, broke down your play on Thompson. I thought it was a great show. 
Uh, I've got to play on this fight as well. Uh, it's a little different. I'm not going against you guys, but um, I'll just show you what I have here. <laughs> um, so yeah, Wonder Boy and Gilbert Burns. Uh, Wonder Boy, he's got that extensive karate and kickboxing background. He does a great job of managing distance. It's you know, kind of, if you're listening to the show, you probably know that it's one of the things he's known for. He's going to have the reach advantage here, so that'll help him a little more in that regard. Um, and I, I hesitate to make this comparison just because I don't want people to read too much into what I'm saying. But with Wonder Boy, I see a lot of similarities with like what we've been seeing with Cyril Gaon, just an accurate and calculated striker who's very difficult to hit. And you're just kind of frustrating. And you, know, you can't get your hands on them. Um, but they're, pro- they're, they're not hitting you crazy hard either. Um, he loves to use space, Wonder Boy, and move around. And they're going to be in the larger octagon, so that's more room for him to move around. It's more distance for him to keep. Uh, he doesn't really have a killer instinct, if you notice. Like against Luke, when he had him hurt, he didn't really pounce and go for the kill there. Um, uh, Gilbert Burns, I think his power is being a little overrated because he, he knocked down Usman earlier this year. Uh, he does throw heavy shots, like he puts a lot behind his punches, but he tends to telegraph him a little bit, and I think a fighter like Wonder Boy is going to get a good read on those and pick up on it. Um, obviously, Burns is an elite BJJ practitioner, uh, but he's not as focused on submissions as he was years ago. Now he seems more focused on just getting control, getting top pressure, winning minutes, uh, instead of hunting for finishes and submissions. Uh, despite Wonder Boy's skilled anti-grappling he's got great defensive grappling you know i just i wouldn't rule out the possibility that burns can win some minutes with ground control here just because he's he's really good bjj guy and you never know you never know um that's the kind of skill that can win out in certain fights against a striker um anyway both of these guys have shown patience uh burns not so much against usman but i think that fight was kind of an anomaly he wanted to kind of show prove himself on a on a big stage so and I'll chalk that up to just, you know, him getting his first shot at a title. He went, knew he was going for the knockout or whatever in that fight. Um, neither one of these guys is, is known for being high volume. Neither one is really regarded as a finisher. Uh, you may see where I'm going here with this. I don't know. <laughs> one in the last five and a half years, uh, the only Wonder Boy fight that ended in the distance was when he was KO'd by Pettis in 2019. Also, the only time he's ever been knocked out. Uh, so he's hard to finish. He's hard to hit, and he's hard to finish. Um, I see people talking about the submission prowess of Gilbert Burns, but if you look at that same time frame, the last five plus years, he's got one submission. He submitted Mike Davis in, in 2019. So his reputation as uh, a finisher on the ground uh, really isn't very accurate. He has one submission in his last 11 fights. Uh, bottom line, I think there's a strong likelihood that this fight goes the distance, regardless who wins. Uh, when the original money lines came out, uh, before we had any props, I made a note uh, to monitor the over or go the distance. But I, I didn't imagine it'd be close to a pick 'em. Uh, I think it must have been like the day the props came out. I was on Twitter, and uh, I think it was like Prodigy or Rockstar Z, one of the handicappers that I like to follow, posted the play, go the distance. Uh, it must have been Prodigy because he gets those New Jersey lines. Um, he, he locked in and go the distance at minus 120. And I couldn't believe it. I was, I was saying, how is this? that close because if you look at it these guys tend to go the distance and especially i don't think you know i think they'll both be pretty calculated with the magnitude of this fight there might be a title shot on the line for for stephen thompson here so so i played fight goes the distance um it it took me a while to have access to a price that i wanted 
But um, a couple of days ago, I was able to get minus one eight. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. And that's what I thought about for a while, too. Um, I another have an update, and that's that I'm putting more on Wonder Boy. Um, I've just I've been more and more convinced. Um, I've looked at the numbers. I think there's a 25% edge or so here as far as implied odds go. Um, and so I'm putting... And so I'm adding a unit for a total of 2.5 units. Originally we had 1.5 unit at minus 151. So adding the unit at uh, minus 153. We're now at 2.5 units for an average of minus 152 um, split between Bavada and Pinnacle. Um, that's our first bet. That's over two units. Um, I don't go crazy, you know, smart bankroll management, but I, I love Wonderboy. So now the big one, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a fight oh. everyone wants to talk about. This is it. This is um, yeah. this so, is the fight. Um, McGregor's, um, he's, I don't know if he's the greatest fighter ever. Well, I know he's not, but he is the greatest shit talker and promoter ever. And this is a huge fight. This is bigger than Yeah, well, it's bigger he's not, than... He's not better than Ali. No, but I mean, this fight is bigger than when he fought Aldo, for sure. In my, in my mind. Oh, yeah. This is probably the second biggest... This is probably going to be the second biggest pay-per-view in UFC history after only the Khabib versus Conor fight. That's, that's the only one that's bigger. And that was just because there was so much. The, the build-up to it was insane. I mean... The bus incident, everything that happened, it was just insane. Um, but I think this could easily do two million pay per views. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and it, it's it is a big one. It, a Connor trilogy. It, it's huge. The way you said about trash talk, Connor's trash talk has been horrible. Do you guys hear the vo voice note he posted on Twitter? I was just like, I did. It was a little. It's a little cringy. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, this, come on. What happened to you, Connor? Um, like, I like, don't... Did he forget how to talk trash effectively? Because he's been too friendly with guys for too long? With... And I don't, like, really just, um, like, whatever is the dude, you know, like uh, him posting to uh, Dustin's uh, wife's Instagram and shit. Dude, get over that. You know, I mean, that's fucking, that's gay shit. Yeah. I, I did laugh when, I did laugh when I saw, I, I won't lie, I did laugh when I first saw it, but yeah, it's, it, he doesn't seem to have the same touch with his uh, no. trash talk and uh, mind games. I, mean, I will say, I mean, it, he brings popularity, he brings the casual sports fans, and people know his name, you know. For sure. Um, I think the thing about the wife Instagram thing, I think, because Dustin is different than their first fight when Connor got in his head. I think he knows that Dustin's going to be fine, like mentally not get angry unless he goes overboard, unless he talks about like his wife or even, which I don't think even Connor would go this far, talk about his daughter. I think that's the one thing that would really set Dustin off. And that's what Connor wants to do. But we'll see. The press conference is either going to suck or be insane. I feel like Dustin, yeah, I, I feel like Dustin's like a monk. 
you know what I mean? He's just like uh, totally zen, and he's yeah. like, I know what I'm doing, and it's it's no big deal. Connor, yeah. Connor really like, seems uh, he really seems very desperate right now to to try and get inside Dustin's head. It's very weird. Yeah. Um, Dustin's like Robert Whitaker in that. Just he's like nice and is just like, yeah, all right, good luck. Um, but uh, enough psychoanalysis. Although it could, it, it's always a thing people talk about with Connor fights. Yeah, with a Connor fight, that's as that's as important as the physical attributes. Yeah, uh, and well, if we're gonna keep, if last thing I'll say is that Connor might project confidence outwards as any fighter should, but there has to be something inside of him that's like. Well, what happens if I lose this? I'm not getting the lightweight title at any time if I lose this. People aren't going to see me as the greatest if I lose this. I'll have lost two in a row to Dustin. I'll be one in three at my own division, lightweight. Um, and he just knocked me out. Can I, I've made changes because we all, Connor has to have made changes to his game plan, but are they enough? Because last time, his game plan, frankly, was terrible. He was set up Dustin's check right hook which was money and was honestly as big in winning the fight as the leg kicks were um he was too confident in his left movements with his left hand but it's true he counted on it so much he didn't use any kicks whatsoever which he should have to manipulate distance and herd Dustin where he wanted him so he was totally one-dimensional just counting on counter striking that's why he left his head so far forward of his stance um he was expecting to counter Dustin's jab because Dustin has a good jab with his straight left over the top of the jab but Dustin was like no I'm just not going to jab you because I know what you're doing um and that that would to start that would seem to be his whole game plan just counter Dustin's jab and hit him in the head and knock him out because after that he was just flying blind making adjustments on the fly um trying to check leg kicks trying to take the offensive, which he did land some good strikes. You know, he, he got through Dustin's guard a couple times with five or six left hands, but Dustin has such a good chin, you know, that's you're that's not going to be enough, especially when you don't follow up, because he didn't follow up. He might have had Dustin hurt, although Dustin hides it really well. He'd never, like, moved in for the kill, like when he fought Eddie Alvarez, you know, he was moving, he, he was sharp, he was bouncing, he hit him and he moved right in. He was just on you, like white on rice. With this, he was content to sit back. <clears throat> it was just not a good game plan. Um, So I, I, I have not, no doubt that he made adjustments, like I said, but Dustin will have made adjustments too. Dustin was one step ahead last time. Can he make the adjustments to keep that step ahead? Or will Connor make up the ground or exceed Dustin just in terms of strategy? Because they both have different but excellent physical tools. Dustin is the more durable and tougher fighter, while Connor is the cleaner, sharper striker. But at this level here, the tactics and technique is becomes more important than all of that because everyone is so good physically. Right. I think the one big thing is um, I think Dustin has more stuff in his toolbox. Like uh, McGregor, we all know what what his his plan is. He's the one that's got to remake what he's doing. You know what I mean? Otherwise, uh, Dustin's Dustin shit's pretty good. You know what he does, and it's not one dimensional. I think McGregor is, and I don't like McGregor, so maybe I'm wrong. 
or whatever. I think he's got great kicks. Appreciate I think he's <laughs> it's not it hey, softy, we're out. Oh well I was gonna say I don't like McGregor, but I think he's got great kicks, he's got tons of power and he's very accurate. But I don't think he has diverse options. You know what I mean? And I think Dustin can work with that. Conor McGregor has to do something totally different than he did before. That's what I think. Yeah. He has to come in using that, those kicks. I mean, the kicks are one of the big things. Um, He would formerly use spinning kicks to herd people onto his left hand. Uh, Kicks, all kinds of kicks. Kicks to the body, front kicks to keep range, especially against orthodox fighters because you have an open stance matchup there and it's so much easier to use front kicks. But against Dustin, even if he uses kicks, that front kick will be harder to uh, apply because they're both southpaws. Um, and yeah. that makes it harder to keep range, which Dustin, Connor's better from distance, but Dustin wants to get into the pocket because he's one of the best boxers when he's inside the pocket just throwing power, short uh, hooks, getting the job done inside the pocket, and Connor does not like to be crowded like that. Uh, no, he's, seen, he's like, against Dustin yeah, and against he's Nate a range fighter. Yeah, um, but one thing is Connor's potential to use leg kicks. He we've seen him in a rematch before with Nate Diaz, and he took a calmer approach, used leg kicks, and didn't go crazy with his left hand. Um, he Dustin had an interview with Fred Okamoto where Okamoto asked about leg kicks and Dustin said, well, I'm actually expecting Connor to throw leg kicks. I, I don't know. I think, I don't know if that's him just being candid or if it's some kind of mind games to try to trick Connor out of using leg kicks. But I do think Connor should use leg kicks. Um, I think he should also work the body more. It's much more effective and available against Dustin than head strikes are. Uh, most of his fights, he just goes forward throwing whenever he sees an opening and trying to finish the fight quickly because that's what he was used to for so long. But we saw it versus Nate Diaz. That didn't work. And that's the only person that uh, Connor has fought that compares to Dustin as far as chin and toughness. Although Nate is more infamous, Dustin's is right up there as far as chins go and cardio goes. So that... can go for 25 hard minutes and he has to fight at a slower pace to keep up with him or will he fight the same way just with as far as pace but with different tactics because in that in the Nate beat him with cardio um Connor gassed and Nate got him Connor tried to take down got choked out Dustin didn't beat him with gas his gas tank I mean Connor wasn't gassed early in that second round he might have been as the round went on but he wasn't gassed. His leg was beaten up, and he got turned around after a check hook and then pushed against the fence and destroyed. So gassing wasn't a factor, so I'm not sure which game plan he will come out with. But if it's a five-round war, whether Connor is gassed or not, you have to favor Dustin. Um, but I want to talk about a narrative that people have, which is that Dustin's leg kicks was what won him the fight. Is that's the only success that Dustin had? People say Dustin has no chance. Connor's a way better boxer. No, Dustin's lead hand won him that fight. There was the obvious using a check hook to counter Connor, which is something that Nate had done uh, versus Connor, who also was a southpaw, just as Dustin is. Connor has trouble with southpaws because he's used to orthodox fighters, and a lot of his tools are 
tailored for orthodox fighters. But also, Connor was waiting for Dustin to jab. Uh, and Dustin was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. He waited he so much that it became hooks. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin, for his part, would bait Connor by using half steps and not, not actually committing to the jab, but feinting it, throwing it out there halfway to get D- Connor to fire. So Dustin could either get Connor, you know, off balance on one leg, extended, so he could land his leg kicks or check hooks with more effectiveness and be in less danger. I mean, when Connor throws his left hand, he leaves his he left his head in the same spot every time and leaning always to the right side to throw his uh, left hand straight down the middle. So every time Justin Dustin wanted to throw that check hook, it was to the same spot because Connor's head was in the same spot. And same with the leg kicks. He, he was tilted to one side and unable to check or, or pull it back or counter, even though Connor didn't even show an awareness of how to check a lead leg. Uh, no. A calf kick. no, he, he has he, no ability for that. Dude. Yeah, he, he checked it how you would check a regular leg kick. You have to turn it out. There's a great Leoto Machida video on it. Um, there's one where uh, Justin Gaethje explains... Uh, not checking, but getting defending against the leg kick. You've got to turn the leg out 45 degrees, or yeah. bring it up like, bring it up like, um, like a door hinge. You got to just bring it up so that it it's just hitting your foot or air. Um, Connor, uh, back to the lead hand. Connor eventually tried to use the hand fight to negate Dustin's lead hand, um, but Dustin would just fire over the top of it. With, with the check hook. Uh, so, Dustin, at that closing sequence, it all started with the, the check hook. Dustin um, threw a check hook. Connor threw a straight left in that long uh, right uppercut where he was way out in front of himself. And Dustin countered him there, then turned him against the fence and started the hooks that led to the finish. Um, I've watched that finishing sequence about 20 times. And none of the big power blows were the most important one. It was that check hook. Connor's game plan was to counterpunch, pow, uh, counter punch, but Dustin was the sharper counterpuncher, punishing Connor anytime he tried to stay in front of Dustin and do more damage than just one strike. Uh, one left hand, he hit Dustin, and Dustin didn't really have a chance to fire back. But when he did at uh, straight left uppercut, and then you know maybe another straight left, his head was there, and Con- uh, Dustin hit him. Took advantage of Connor throwing combos. And Connor loves his straight left lead uppercut combo. Yeah. Mike what? I actually I was I was I was Mike, talking to Salt. Yeah, Mike, right, what do you think about this one? Yeah, well, you know, you and I were talking right before right before we started recording, and I indicated to you I'm I'm kind of not at a loss for this one, but I just can't really come up with a play here. Um, there's really nothing I could say about either of these fighters that anyone listening to this show wouldn't, you know, wouldn't know. Um, we've all seen these guys fight multiple times. They're both big stars. Uh, Soft and I agreed when we were talking earlier. I give the edge to Poirier here, Poirier. But um, I don't know. I think I think McGregor's live. I think he's. I don't think he's over yet. Obviously, he's. But bit of the U.S. Anything like that? 
come up with something. Initially, I thought, like, <laughs> okay, it's going to be an early finish. Let me see, like, round three doesn't start or under two and a half, whatever. And I don't know. I, the more I thought about it, I'm not totally convinced that it ends super fast. I think there's a chance it will. But I don't have a strong enough lean on anything here to make a play. I just hope hope it's fun. You know, I hope it lives up to the hype and we yeah. get a good card headlined by uh, this blockbuster fight here. Um, I, 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 so if it ends early, it's almost definitely Connor. Cause well, this is again about the narrative that Connor had so much success last time. He should, he's expected to win the first round. If Connor doesn't win the first round, something's wrong. And also if he doesn't get the knockout in the first or second round, something's wrong. Um, so Dustin's almost assuredly gonna sit back more, try to gas Connor out in that first round. And try to knock and knocked out. If Connor can't knock him out, he gets in trouble. If he can't knock him out again in the second round, then he gets in more trouble. If it goes there, it's almost certain that Dustin wins in round three, four, five, or by decision. Um, I did see. So, one, the, yeah. I did a double take when I saw one prop today. It was either fighter wins in round three or four was plus three hundred. Wow. I uh, thought there was a little value there, but again, my initial read was that it ends fast. And if I'm bouncing all over the place, then it's probably best just to pass on this one. So I'm thinking it more doesn't because Dustin has such a good chin and rolls with punches so well, takes punches so well in, in his new reinvention at lightweight. Um, I, I, I think that this one, honestly, people are saying they're going to put like a lot of money on ends inside the distance, which is like minus 350 or something. I'm like, no, yeah. I could see an eight versus Connor two situation where it goes the distance. You know, I could see Connor coming out slower. And Dustin is so used to those five round wars. I mean, he's been in wars with Eddie Alvarez twice, Justin Gaethje in four rounds, Max Holloway to decision, Dan Hooker to decision. Uh, and both of those were five round fights. He's used to, to wars and accustomed to wars. And it's totally possible it goes the distance. I think there could be value even on goes the distance or Dustin by decision or Dustin in round four or round five for small money. Um, but what I, I do think Dustin wins this one. I think he has the upper hand um, mentally, stylistically, um, and then in terms of game planning because he was so well prepared for that last fight and didn't only showed like three tools in his toolbox. Uh, I didn't even talk about his shift. Um, his shift, a shift is you start. So he starts southpaw, steps forward with his left hand to get more to cover distance and bring more power into the overhand right when he throws it because he is right-handed even though he's a southpaw and he does it to everyone. Um, the, there's a famous clip of him knocking Max Holloway across the ring. That was with a shift. He tried it on Connor. And it worked, but not in the usual way. He used it to get a t that early takedown, shifted into the takedown, oh, yeah. took Connor down, and was able to grind on him a little there to, to tire him out. Um, he tried it a bit later for punches and takedowns, but Connor was hip to it then. But that is one of Dustin's most common tools to look out for. That's all he did early in his career was shift and try to knock people out that way. It, him and Peter Jan are the most famous shifters in the UFC using shifting overhands. Um, but yeah, I think Dustin, I think it's more than likely that Dustin survives the early onslaught. And I think Dustin is better, flat out better if this gets out of the first round and a half, which I think it will. Yeah. Um, 
I I will admit myself that I am biased for Dustin because I like him. Um, even though Connor is one of the guys that got me into the sport when I was younger and he was coming up, uh, Dustin is one of my favorite fighters. But I try to, uh, as a handicapper, I try to remove bias as much as I can. And watching their last fight, thinking about all the things Connor did wrong and all the success he had, that Bill wasn't that successful because Poirier took it took it all pretty fine and came back to do more to him. Uh, I, I think Dustin is at a better team. He has a much better coach. John Kavanaugh is not a good coach. Connor would be like the best fighter in the world if he hadn't if he had been with someone like uh, if, like let someone like Mike Brown who Dustin's under or uh, yeah, when John like or ATT or anywhere. Kavanaugh's not a good coach. Yeah, Kavanaugh is a wrestling coach. There's a tweet that went around from a couple years ago, just last week, that said you should never th- fr- strikers should never throw a one-two. Statistically, it gets you in trouble more often than not. Like, yeah, Kavanaugh, you have those statistics on hand, I bet. So, <laughs> one-twos are is a staple. I mean, the guy with a good one-two, like we've seen Kamaru Usman one-two his way to knocking people out for the title. Uh, but I digress. I think Kavanaugh isn't a good game planning or striking coach he's a good wrestling coach but that's about it uh, all all the other guys are wrestlers other than connor and he wouldn't be here where he is you know on the world stage as a coach if not for connor because he has no other like really successful fighters the next most successful is what makwana mirkani what dustin is what? at apt what about artem <laughs> yeah the goat um so I, I wanted to do one last thing before I, I say my official bet, though I already said it's Dustin. I'm going to go over each guy's attributes. All right. From Numbers MMA, there have been 12 trilogies in UFC history. These are trilogies that have only taken place in the UFC, not like Rampage Vanderlei that took place partly in Pride, partly in the UFC, or Faber versus Cruz, which took place partly in the WEC. 12 pure UFC-only trilogies. 8 of the 12 were tied 1-1 to going into the third fight. And the winner of the second fight won 6 of those uh, 8 trilogies. Now that's in a, like a, that's not related to this because neither of these guys have been in those trilogies. But it's something to bear in mind. And something even more important, I think, is that the winner of the first fight in immediate rematches, like this one is, it's an immediate rematch. The winner of the, f- the first fight is 17-9 and in the second fight immediate rematches because and i think that that says a lot a lot more than the other one does even though it doesn't relate to these fighters specifically if you if you beat someone and then immediately fight them again you have their number to a degree you're a step ahead of them they have to make adjustments to catch up but you can get make adjustments to get even further uh and that's one reason I, i i do lean towards dustin um so as far as good both guys attributes uh, I'm just going to say the attribute, say mine, say what I think, who has the better attribute, and then you say yours. So distance striking, I think Connor. Yes, agree. Mike? Yeah. Pocket striking in the pocket, I say Dustin. Oh, agree, for sure. Easily. Cardio, Dustin. Agree. Yeah. Uh, chin, Dustin. Agree. Yeah. Heart slash motivation because so this one actually I wanted to talk about earlier. Connor seems to be in it, but if it goes into a war, you know, like the fourth round and Dustin is and him are both bloody and bruised, he can 
just go away. You know, he can walk off into the sunset. Yeah. Uh, but well, well, I was the same. Yeah. Well, I would say that uh, Connor has kind of the heart of a champion, but I think at this point, Dustin wants it more. Yeah. The only thing I would, and I don't really question. You no, know, I don't say I question Dustin's motivations at this point, but uh, it was interesting after. Uh, the last Connor fight, he gets to the press conference, and you know the first thing they say is, "Oh, are you ready to fight for the lightweight belt?" And he says, uh, "No, I want Nate Diaz or a Connor rematch." It's so a big money. Basically, fight. basically, just, just saying, you know, just bring me the biggest bag of money you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, you know, we all want the biggest bag of money, but you know, I don't know. I think they all, either of them, after this fight, probably before this fight, also, you know, are probably set for a generation or two but yeah i get it i get it um i think there is some motivation to connor though as well because like you were saying before this is big for his legacy if he loses this then he's out of any yeah you know top five conversation or whatever you want to rank him that's a good point but Um, just just to play devil's advocate a little bit there yeah no No, you're absolutely right other other sides the argument that i have if ken if canada loses this fight then it definitely hurts his legacy you're absolutely right yeah Um, i don't know how important that is to him but whatever i think it's i think it is very important honestly but um next power i say connor yeah the the guy dude i hate the motherfucker but that mother, he's got power, dude. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, volume, uh, Dustin kind of goes with cardio, but Dustin, yeah, I these think, are... has more volume. I think. Yeah, these are all these are all pretty black and white. I go with Dustin as well. Uh, it's just the, I wanted to, you know, put it all out on the. Open yeah, no, I get it. I see. Um, hand I speed. It. This one is actually closer than it seems at first because Dustin can really string his combos together, but I still lean Connor. Yeah, prime Connor. Yeah. I'd, give, I'd give him the edge for sure. I mean, if, if you know, if he's anything I, close to what he once yeah. was, I think if they're standing at distance, Connor is way faster. But once they get in the pocket, Dustin can string off a lot more punches. But I'll give yeah. the edge to Connor. Um, accuracy, Connor, Connor, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, so these, this one is harder. Footwork. I actually didn't know uh, at first, but I thought about it, and I, uh, I'm going Dustin at this point. Yeah, I think uh, the reason Connor couldn't hit Dustin because of his footwork, so that's difficult. Connor's- yeah, that is that is closer, but right now in 2021, I'd give Dustin the edge there. Um, defense, I say Dustin is Philly yeah, shell and for shoulder sure. roll, Philly shell slash shoulder roll, yeah. and yeah. elbow guard. Yeah, um, coaching. Dustin. Oh, Dustin, gosh. <laughs> for sure. So this one is this one is the hardest one for me. Fight IQ. I Connor had made some amazing adjustments, and especially back in the day, you know, he was one of the smartest guys of using his striking to herd opponents to be right where he, they, he wanted them for the knockout shot. Um, it took him all of a minute to get a dismantled Dustin's high elbow guard in uh, their first fight. Yeah, but, but I I don't uh, think as of now I say Dustin. I don't think uh, Connor has adjusted. He thinks his old fight IQ is still as good as it was. Yeah, I alluded to that a bit earlier, I think, when I said his confidence 
he was too confident in his left hand because he thought he would put Dustin out of there in a minute. He underestimated Dustin in that last fight, and he might still be underestimating him even after getting knocked out. Uh, but Mike, fight IQ. That is a really close one. Oh. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, how much are we factoring in how realistic Connor is about his abilities right now? Um, I think, <laughs> which I don't know. I think this this fight's going to show really show. Um, we'll be able to see within a couple of minutes. I think who has the, the better IQ just with their approach uh, to this fight early. Um, I'll say Connor just to be a contrarian. <laughs> well, uh, take down. Sorry. It's kind of, well. It's kind of a legacy fight, right? If McGregor wins this, it cements his legacy. If he loses it, it almost uh, tanks it in that some ways. Time you know if he mean? wins this and beats Oliveira for the belt, he definitely cements it. But if he loses this, he's out. Yeah, you know, have any top ten or this whatever. It's not there yet. I mean, it, it's an important fight for both guys, but for yeah. Connor's legacy, this is way more important. Dustin Poirier's had what? Fucking. How many fights he had, Val, in the UFC? In the UFC? Oh, like 20, 25. Right, it, right. And then three in the WEC. He's, he's already a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? I, I, I think Dustin is the second best lightweight of all time, or second greatest lightweight of all time after Khabib. Just the, the guys he's beaten, the champions he's beaten, the, the guys he's lost to, only like uh, five people, Korean Zombie, Cub Swanson, Khabib, Michael Johnson, and Connor. Yeah. And he, I think there's some. There's... And he would kill Michael Johnson or Cub Swanson today. He would yeah, kill him. Or, or even Zombie, <laughs> though he couldn't make 145. I think there's some people on Twitter that would say uh, Makachev's the second best lightweight ever. <laughs> oh, <they would> say. <laughs> all right, on all to right, some grappling right. yeah. and wrestling takedowns. Oh, you, you got some more to discuss on this? Yeah, just, just four more. Um, all right. Takedowns. So I think Connor is, might be a better wrestler, but he doesn't use it. So I say Dustin for takedowns. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think without a doubt, Dustin's the better wrestler. Takedown defense. Oh, there I, I say Connor. Connor has good takedown defense. Yeah, I I might yeah. give that to him. But and last, sorry. Oh, go. I was just gonna say, but Connor's not gonna try and take him down, so it doesn't no. matter. Not for not yeah, not on Dustin's end for takedown defense. It matters on Connor's end because Dustin should want to take him down and wear right. him out again. Yeah, or even just in the clinch. And last, jujitsu. Uh, Dustin. For me. Dustin, yeah. yeah without he, doubt. he has legit submissions and yeah. Um he has some flaws in it like pulling the uh on the guillotine, but he still is a pretty decent black belt. Okay. So I, I think we demonstrated some different sides of their uh abilities. I think Dustin has more advantages overall, but styles make fights, but I think the styles are well matched. So uh uh my bet is on dustin at one unit i'm gonna go look and make sure the odds are still the same as when i saw them like an hour two hours ago so right now you can get dustin okay there's one site i don't have bet any sports he's still minus 110 um you can grab dustin there but he is not near there anymore which he was i thought i didn't think the odds would move this much but the sharps have have bet dustin I thought the public would be enough to push Connor, but the Sharps have bet Dustin, and I believe rightly so. The best odds you can get outside of that book, bet any sports, is sports bet at minus 123. Um, uh, which well, is what I'm betting. Wait, Dustin I got at. him at 122 on FanDuel. Oh, oh, yeah, on FanDuel. 
Um, I, I don't have FanDuel yet. I will in like three months. They've got yeah. they've got awesome prices sometimes, yeah. man. And promos I've seen. They're coming to my state in, in the fall. Um, but you can also do bet online, Bovada, uh, Betway minus one twenty five. But yeah, I'm going with that sports bet one unit at minus one twenty three. So uh, just a quick recap of my bets. I've got Dustin Poirier for one unit at minus one twenty three. Wonder Boy for two point five units at uh, minus one fifty two. Uh, Iran, uh, no, not Yana Kunitskaya by decision for half a unit at plus one sixty. Uh, Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho under 1.5 at minus 165 for one unit. Um, and maybe one to come on Ilya Taboria. All right, Stay Mike. Twitter. What about you, Mike? Recap Mike, you want to recap our, uh, your bets for our fans? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to have Giles minus 105 uh, for 1.2 units. I'm going to have Wonderboy and Gilbert Burns fight goes the distance minus 118. Also for 1.2 units, uh, Yana Kudinskaya money line plus 125 for one unit. And again, nothing locked in, but I am going to have a play on Greg Hardy and Tuivasa either under two and a half or fight doesn't start round three. I'm going to see if there's any more movement on those numbers because they have been coming in my favor. So follow Strong and Jacket if you want to see the end result on that play. All right. All right. And we'll link you in there, but you know what time it is now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's time for the... Well, first we'll, first we'll go with walking the dog. Mike, who is your dog? All right. So I have bets on two underdogs, Giles and Yana. Um, neither one of them is plus money anymore. So I'm not, I'm not walking that. You can get Giles at like plus 108. You can, but get him out of here. Give me, give me a real underdog. Give me Carlos Condit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll just say it now. That's my dog, too. That's my dog as well. Val, Damn. who is yours? So I have to be a contrarian. Um, my dog is Jessica I. I think this could be like a 50-50 fight if it stays striking. So that's my dog, though it's not an official bet, of course. Yeah, no, no. These are just fun at the end. Right. We all know that. I was going to say... <laughs> All right, Mike. Yeah. Now was, you know. I was going to say Condit too, but yeah. Well, Condit's the good one to pick here. But Mike, now you also know it's the "Don't Be a Pussy" parlay. Of course, of course. I just I was making some notes as we were going along. <laughs> um, so we got. We need, I need five. five it's a five-way parlay, yeah, right? Five. Yes. Yep. Okay. Give me Ilya Tupurio, Michelle Pereira. Give me I and Maya goes the distance. Give me Brad Tavares and Akhmadov goes the distance. And I'm going to be a cheapo with my with my fifth leg and go with Sean O'Malley, who would change the price. <laughs> Not at all. But <laughs> what are you going to do? Val, who's your and don't? I don't, I, was, I don't have the price on that. I, I wish I, I checked earlier. But. Yeah, I meant no, to that's do right. These, these aren't official bets. These yeah, are yeah. just the put it out there. Val, who you got? All right, so, well, Steven, Wonderboy Thompson, of course. Um, actually, you could, honestly, you, you said goes the distance. You could do a goes the distance parlay on this pretty easily with, like, Maya and I, uh, Maya and, I Akhmedov and Tavares, um, Condit and Griffin, Kuniskaya and Aldana. I wouldn't hate Sal- Salgas yeah. and, R- and Rivera even. In yeah, there. yeah, flyweights. Yeah, but you, you could easily do a uh, goes the distance parlay on this one. But, yeah, so... 
uh, Wonderboy Thompson, um, O'Malley inside the distance, which is like minus 325 or something. Uh, Ilya Taporia as well. Shoot. That's three. Uh, Dustin Poirier and, and Yana Kunitskaya. All right. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Poirier, Wonderboy, Tuafasa, um, O'Malley, and Condit. Okay. So I'll right on. throw one old underdog in his. <laughs> yeah, week. I always throw my underdog in there, Val. Always. Yeah, I know. It's a good value. All right. All right. Hold on. It was a, it was a pleasure to have you, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, Mike yeah, thank thanks. you very much. You want to shout out um, where people can find you? Yeah, just check me out on Twitter at Strong and Jacket, spelt the traditional way. Um, <laughs> Strong and Jacket MMA picks. Um, and I really appreciate being on. It is a blast again. Uh, you guys know your stuff. You got awesome breakdowns, and it's a pleasure and an honor to join you. And I look forward to checking out um, your YouTube channel. Yeah, so we we should mention that. So I've, I worked on the YouTube video. It's done. YouTube wouldn't let me upload it. So it should be out tomorrow, or when I say tomorrow, it's going to be the same day as this podcast is coming out probably. So it should be out now. Go check out our YouTube channel. It'll be in the bio, uh, or not the bio, in the notes of the show. Um, and yeah, it's just Significant Strike. You can follow the button on Twitter at SigStrikePod. I was looking at YouTube, I mean, I'm looking at Twitter like 10 minutes before we started recording, and I saw you complaining about the YouTube upload, and you, you say F you, you said the whole thing, you say F you, and you tag to Twitter support, and then they answer like really politely, like, we're oh, sorry, how can we help you? 